You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. If you uh, listen to the Meat Eater podcast, and obviously you do because here you are listening to it, or watch the show Meat Eater on Netflix, you have seen and kind of met our buddy Remy Warren, who is, I'll say, I've said it before and I'll say it again, one of the most just skilled, accomplished hunters I've ever had the pleasure of spending time out in the woods with. We are launching a new podcast with Remy called Cutting the Distance. And in Cutting the Distance, it's not like a conversational show. Cutting the Distance is an educational show where Remy walks you through situations and scenarios from his life and gives you like actionable, usable information, instruction, intelligence, inspiration about how to become a better hunter. And there's no one more suited to give you this information than Remy Warren. So go find it, Cutting the Distance, the same place as you can find the Meat Eater podcast. Give it a listen. Give it a review. Cutting the Distance with Remy Warren. This is the Meat Eater podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Okay, you on, Phil? We are on. Wild Phil? Wild Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it Wild Phil? I don't know, because I'm used to calling people named Bill Wild Bill, and then I thought I'd call him Wild Phil, but Wild Phil doesn't sound good. I like it. Yeah, I think just try good. it out for four or five months, see what happens. Because I was telling him, if your name's Phil, you're probably not too wild. <laughs> <laughs> but if your name's Bill, that can go any direction, man. Are there some wild Phil's out there? Wild Phil? Wild Phil Hickok? Wild Phil Cody. Big Phil Cody. 
Well, anyway, Wild Phil. Thank you, Phil. Uh, Jason, can you introduce yourself real quick? And then I got a quick question for you. Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. And uh, have your partner. Uh, Dirk Durham with Phelps Game Calls. Good job, guys. If you had to rate your patience on a, like a sliding scale of 1 to 10, what would it be? Because it's gonna we got a couple things we got to do here. Two. Really? So you're just going to be antsy as all yeah. get out. <laughs> yeah. Ten. A two? Yeah, like, it's not good. You're an impatient person. Uh, yeah. Probably. Your whole life, you've known yeah. this? Yeah. Like, well, the reason I ask, um, got a couple things to talk about. We got, like, a... Like, we had a handful of nipple, like, nipple-ripping nipple stories coming in lately. Yeah. A new one came in. You can't pass them by. No. A new one came in. Um, this guy says, I thought you'd be interested in this. He says that they were out, they were in Ontario, Canada, a bunch of people swimming in the water, a bunch of guys, a bunch of girls, and they're out swimming in 20 feet of water. And all of a sudden, one of this guy's buddies accuses him of giving him a purple nipple, which is when you pinch someone's nipple, apparently, and twist it real hard, which we call a titty twister. Purple nurple. That's what I've been told. Purple nurple. Yeah. Purple nurple. Yeah. <laughs> really? You too? I've nurple? heard both. Yeah. What does he say it is again now? Let me double check. I mean, the, the titty twister is, I would say, more common, but purple nurple's right. Purple right nurple. Purple nurple. He says his buddy started to get, oh, I'm sorry. He does call it a purple nurple. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> a titty twister, basically. Yeah. yeah. So he, his buddy's like, hey, stop giving me a titty twister. He's like, I didn't give you a titty twister. And they inspect the 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 nipple, and it's been bit by a northern pike. What? Yeah, had little teeny pinprick holes. Then later, they're sitting around recounting this story, and there was an ant that um he he describes her as a fairly attractive ant. Um, I thought it was interesting that he added that to yeah, his story. Yeah, because I feel like if you he wanted to set the scene. I feel like it's okay to be, a, I, I, like, I thought about this this morning. Um, I feel that it's okay to be attracted to an aunt or uncle, but you do not act on it or tell the aunt and uncle. Agreed. Sure, go for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it seems like it's, it's like excusable. Would you agree with that, Phelps? No. <laughs> oh. you, think, you think it's inexcusable so, for a young lad to find his no. aunt. So it, it's got to be the family or, removed, so it can't be like... I said, no, I, I didn't say act on it. I said, you cannot act on it. I don't even know that you would tell anyone about it in your family. I think it'd be okay to tell friends. Okay, yeah, that's acceptable. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> to basically to be say, attracted I, to your, I have a good-looking aunt. To be attracted to one's aunt or uncle. You know, blood, blood aunt. So that's what I was saying. Blood it, it's, it's like the the married end of the family aunt, not okay. But your mom, your your I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking about like I'm not talking about telling them or acting on it or marrying them. Yeah, it's it's okay to say that they're good looking. Yeah, if someone, well, I don't want to like explore all the options, but there are some familial connections that if someone just said that they had a fairly attractive ex, like uh, I had a, you know fairly attractive father i would be like that's you know not i'd keep that to yourself but to say you have a fairly attractive aunt i i know you noticed it i noticed it i thought it was an interesting thing to bring up and i didn't want to pass judgment and i'm like that's fine yeah, anyway in this aunt, context the aunt 
Oh, go ahead. In this context, I think he's letting the reader feel better about envisioning this scene that you're going to talk about next. He's coloring the scene because of what he says happened. The, the aunt divulges to the boys that that has happened to her too out swimming in the lake, which then revealed to them that this aunt that they find attractive swims nude in the lake. And he just wanted to throw it into the repertoire of... It's okay to be thinking about... I encourage you to think about my aunt swimming nude in the lake because she's an attractive gal. I think he's like, let me paint the picture for you. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's my aunt just smoking hot, right? In... (laughs) Letting it all hang out. No, that's not what he said. He said fairly attractive. So, uh, you know, in in Montana, you're supposed to paint uh, posts, like your fence poles, trees, whatever, orange means like don't come in here. In Texas, this this is very un-Texas, I feel. In Texas, you use purple. Purple paint means don't come in my land. And he said that there's, he was in a hardware store. A listener wrote in, he's in a hardware store. And they have cans of paint labeled no hunting purple, which he found offensive. He said, why not just call it no trespassing purple? Yeah, have they done some sort of study that says, like, purple paint lasts longer in the hot Texas sun or something? doesn't fade as fast? Don't know. No hunting purple. How, how do you It's like a new purple? shade. He, he describes it as a new shade of purple. Did he feel like it was like an anti-hunting? He thought they'd sell a hell of a lot more in Texas. They called it no trespassing purple. Right. I don't, I don't know why I thought that was interesting. Now that, I say, now that I'm talking about it, it doesn't seem as interesting as I thought it was. You find that interesting, Jason? Yeah, I don't get offended that easy, though. It just is what it is. I mean, maybe you can trespass. You just don't want you to hunt there. Is there is there places you can get on and not hunt, but you can be on their property? Or is it truly no trespassing purple? I don't know. He took offense to it. I, don't I think, think it's no trespassing purple. Uh, did I talk about this, that this guy, uh, that, that a guy in Kentucky was saying that... Um, they were doing some kind of study where they had collared deer and people were supposed to feel free to shoot like, because they're doing mortality. So like a hunter would be like, if you see a collared, they're saying to hunters, if you see a collared deer and you would normally shoot it, go ahead and shoot it. Um, And they were, he found that there's some guys that had some resistance to, did I talk about this? Shooting the collared deer because of, I don't know. We've talked a lot about shooting collar deer, but I don't know if we've covered this specific. He study heard from that multiple individuals that you definitely, if you shoot a collar deer, you need to grind all of the meat because they also plant microchips in the deer. And if you don't grind all the meat and destroy the microchips, they will then track you <laughs> for a while because you will intake the meat and the microchip will then live inside of you. Yeah. This is a wildlife biologist wrote us in about this. What's your guys' take? Nice 300-inch bull comes strolling through, got a collar on his neck. You think twice about it or just normal normal as can be? Well, I'm shooting it. Really? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do it. It just it would seem, we talked about this, it would seem, it would seem corrupted to me. But a banded duck is cool as hell. <laughs> like tagged bears? No. Collared, no. Collar, I wouldn't want to do it. I'm shooting it. Really? Steve thinks that because some other man's hands 
have been on the animal prior to his, that there is some sort of- Or corruption uh, has occurred. <laughs> yeah. It's been tainted. No longer it's pure as it. the driven snow. It's not pure. I would shoot it for sure. A collar. Would you yeah. then Would you then take photos of you with the collared animal or would you cut the collar off? No, I'd take a photo with the collar. And then start wearing the collar. And your, and your caps would be, uh, not the first guy to handle this. I, I'm just, I just, that's like, I see it as uh, meat in the freezer. The caption could also read, look at this, science at work. Mm-mm. All right, so let's, very last day of the hunt, you've been grinding out for 14 days and the colored one walks by at six o'clock at night, last day, change mm-hmm. your mind? No. I'm not that good of an elk hunter yet. <laughs> <laughs> so if that thing came into me, that, I'd see that as maybe my only opportunity this season. In regards to the microchip, like you know, eating eating the microchip, yeah the the data is like once you get a mortality signal, which all a mortality signal is is when yes. something hasn't moved for a period of time, depending on the species. Like once they get that, then you know, kind of they'd want to go retrieve the the thing. I, it's you know. For us, it's going to end up, you know, let's say you're out hunting for 14 days and you ate that thing early on in the hunt. It's going to end up in a pit toilet somewhere, right? So I don't, I don't think you got to worry about being tracked as long as you're a regular fella. <laughs> oh, like, so you're saying if you're a Kentuckian <laughs> yeah. and you shoot a collar deer and then choose to eat whole muscle meat and not ground and do ingest this tracking chip and you worry about government interference in your life you will eventually pass it yes you will scat it out and you will then be free of the government following you around yes you will have led them to the flying j truck stop or (laughs) 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 we we heard a good story from i think it was robert abernathy told us a story one time where they had some turkeys and they had those little tracking uh they can glue these temporary uh i saw that in tennessee they can glue these temporary chips up into their uh, feathers. No, they and pull they get, the feathers out, get a bare patch of skin, and then glue oh, directly how they to do the it? skin. Yeah. Anyways, he, they one day got a signal from one of their turkeys that he was headed down the highway. <laughs> high rate of speed. Yeah, the high rate of speed. <laughs> and I think the story. I think the way the story goes is that it must be the person went to pluck the turkey or skin it, and realize what it had on it. Because when they finally went there and found the dang thing, it was, uh, I think he said it was like buried under a wood pile or something or stuffed under a wood pile. <laughs> like the guy realized that the gov was coming Was down. it poached? Yeah, it was poached. Uh, yeah, the guy poached a tracking device turkey. You, you remember a long time ago when we d- did that episode with uh, Bracey Hill, our friend Bracey Hill, and it yes. was about hunting, like uh, discussions about hunting in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Um, the guy wrote in, curious why we didn't include, why we didn't get into this quote. There's a quote in the Bible. It's uh, Proverbs 12, 27 that says, The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Which is a good quote. And I was looking that up to try to figure out where it came from, what it meant. And you know how there's all kinds of different versions? There's all the different versions of the Bible. If you look at all the different versions of the Bible, that quote 
means a thousand different things. Like, so the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. That's like the new international version. The new living translation, lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. And then the English standard version, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Uh, the Berean a lazy man does not roast his game, but a diligent man prizes his possession. King James, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. Think about all that. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's like a game of telephone. About hunting. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's interesting. Like the transition from like, well, meat's not quite valuable enough. So we're going to make it, uh, we're going to change that word to riches or substance. Weren't those two versions? Of yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, two last quick things. No, nah, I'm going to get to this stuff later. Oh, one last quick thing. Me and Seth, you still good, Jason? You get antsies all get no, out. No, no, I'm good. I can listen to stories. Okay. <laughs> uh, me and Seth are starting to plan out our our winter trap line. Yep. So anyone that had this is a public service announcement. Yep. I'm gonna try to spin it like uh, I'm gonna spin it like instead of them doing us a favor, we'll spin it like we're doing them a favor. Oh, we're definitely doing them a favor. So anyone um, who's got nuisance beaver or muskrat problems. And they'd like to get them taken care of. Call us. Send, yeah, send it. Go go on go on to themeateater.com and send us an email. And you can just make the subject line uh, beavers with a capital with an exclamation point. Yep. And then we'll field them, and we'll we'll range as far as big timber. Yep. For nuisance big beavers, timber. nuisance muskrats. Yeah, we don't want to go across the state, but yeah, fairly local. Good beaver removal service. Free beaver removal Free service beaver for removal. nuisance beavers. Southwest Montana. And uh, Seth, do we uh, when we find a gate closed, how do we leave it? Well, uh, we leave it closed. When we find a gate open, how do we uh, leave it? Um, well, if it's supposed to be closed, we'll close it. If it's a, if it's supposed to be open, we'll we'll keep it the way it is. Let's say a landowner says to us, Seth, he says, "You boys, go ahead and catch all them beavers, but don't don't uh, let me catch you shooting my elk." What, what would we shoot those elk? We would not shoot the elk. No, sir. We're just there for beavers. If he said, "Don't drive in my field when it's all wet." Would we drive on that field, Seth? Nope. See, we'll, we'd be doing a lot of walking. Yeah. You know, reliable, conscientious beaver removal. Respectful. Respectful beaver removal services. Um, and if they just wanted to drop them off here at the office in Bozeman, Montana, you guys would say? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. You, oh, Seth might want to flesh them. No. I spent many years doing that. And- I'd rather just catch them myself. Yeah, you guys know. Uh, did we talk about this ever before? The use of flesh hides for a fur buyer? Uh, th- we might have. I don't know. I don't think you guys hit it hard enough because I I threw that picture of you guys working away up on uh, the Instagram and folks were like, that guy know what he's doing? He's wearing flip-flops. Fleshing that beaver. I call him yeah. the flip-flop flesher, man. <laughs> <laughs> People were very interested in me wearing flip-flops. Yeah. He's got, yeah, he's got two nicknames. He's, he's, uh, he's DP Double Punch or the flip-flop <laughs> flesher. Uh, Where's the double punch come from? It's a long yeah, story. it's a long story. He doesn't like it. It's a long, it's a long story that he doesn't like. Um, what was I going to tell you to say about Seth? Oh, yeah. So when you sell fur, like like 
if we just want our we want our own furs for hats and mittens and pillows and queen size comforters. But um, I'm gonna make a California king. That's why I'm trying to solicit. Uh, does that mean a real big king size bed, California? Yes. I'm I'm fixing to make a California king size comforter out of beaver pelts. That's why we need a lot of nuisance beavers. Yeah. Uh, but when you sell fur, you can sell it three ways. Guys will sell it in the round, which is, that's just the animal. That's mm-hmm. just selling like a raccoon to, to a fur buyer. Yep. You can sell it green, which is skinned and not fleshed and dried. You could sell it fleshed and not dried, but no one in their right mind would ever do that. No. Or you can sell it ready to roll. Yep. Fleshed and dried. Seth used to have a job where he would go after high school down to the fur buyer and he would skin. Would you skin or just flesh? Skin, flesh, and put them up. Skin, flesh, and put up raccoons and some beavers, muskrats. What else muskrats, did you put up? Muskrats, fox, coyote, mink. Uh, pretty much anything that was legal to trap at that point in time. Was that an hourly paying job or per, per animal? Skin? Oh, it was per animal. What'd you make flesh in a raccoon hide? I don't remember. It was like, so it was maybe like four or five bucks to skin it, four or five bucks to flesh it. Yeah, but there's no money left over. I guess in those days, the prices were pretty good on raccoons then. I was in high school too, so like, just some extra money. Like, like I wasn't. No, but he's saying that there's no money left. I'm saying depending on the fur markets, right? If the fur markets got low enough, I wonder if your pay goes down. It never seemed to go down. I used to peel logs for a log home builder, and it was 35 cents a foot. I don't know what it is nowadays. Couldn't tell you. But they paid you 35 cents per foot to peel logs. But I have a hard time picturing that they're going to give you eight bucks to skin and flesh a raccoon. Are you lying to us? No, yeah. that's, uh, I mean, because <laughs> I, I was just I trying to build us up. I, cre- I was just trying to build up our credibility. I had a lot of those jobs that same time frame, and I often found it was how you could take advantage of a high school kid. Because I'd bust ass that'd be, that'd be and be book. like, oh, yeah. That'd be a good little manual. X amount write, for yeah. X amount. And then I'd be like, yeah, I did double that. So that's 30 bucks instead of 15 bucks. And they'd be like, whoa, I whoa, didn't really want to pay that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, okay, that sounds fair. You know, uh, my buddy Tommy Edson, um, you know him, Yanni. I do. He one time, he, he knew this old guy uh, that... He was along, like Tommy was like, his grandma lived along the Columbia. And some old guy had dug a big pond on his property and wanted to stock it with bullheads. Lord knows why, but that's what he wanted to stock it with. And he told Tommy, he's like, I'll give you a, a dollar a bullhead, not knowing what he's getting himself into. So he like set himself to work. And he says, when it comes time for delivery, he like his ma drives him over, you know. And she pops the trunk, and he's got all these buckets in there, and the guy looks in there, and he's kind of, he kind of has, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll give you 100 bucks for the whole thing. <laughs> wow, he had over 100 bullets. Oh, yeah, I think, was, I think it was a number. When he said the guy was just like, well, I didn't really mean that many bullets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. All right, Jason Phelps. Where are we at? Hit him, Yanni. No, I want to do this one. Who invented the diaphragm call? We were just talking about that. I think we we uh, decided. Do you not know? Well, well, there's there's two guys. I think it's Wayne Carlton invented it, the diaphragm. Well, not the diaphragm. Oh. So he, I mean, on the elk call side, he basically took a turkey call and, and rolled it into the elk calls. I don't know 
um, the history on who invented like the the very first diaphragm call for turkeys um, or any other game. Is that maybe unknowable? Uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody's made it because Wayne and, and Larry Jones on the elk call side, but there were turkey calls before that, which maybe Wayne was even involved in a little bit. What year was that going on? This was in the eighties. Oh, because yeah, I remember my early yeah, 80s. I remember my my half brother Frank was an elk guide in Colorado, and they used to use PVC pipe and turkey calls. Yep. And that was when people were just like it was like a new thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, in the the history of hunting, compared to, like the history of game calls, it's like it's very very new still. Game calls. Yeah, very very short timeline and you know only 40 50 years i mean they've been using old you know grass and, and predator calls and stuff like that but as far as like the market um fairly fairly new the i got sent a bunch of pictures from uh, this museum in france with all these very intricate very very old uh bird calls like ranging from you know songbirds with which they're big on eating all the way through ducks and geese but these things like look like accordions or like crazy smoking apparatus. I had many guesses before I got to the correct one. Oh, the, the, you, you you didn't look at it immediately be like, that's some kind of game call. No, no, they're very intricate. I'll dig up those pictures here at some point. In uh, When we were hanging around down in South America, when they try to call in a tape here, they still use a blade of grass, which is kind of like a reed, right? Yeah, yeah just it's all about that vibration of that material, so anything will work. So how, uh, who talk about the, tell everyone about how elk calling came into being a thing i mean how well is it known like now or how did it start back no in the like when we talk about like the late 70s early 80s whatever when people started messing around with the idea that you could call in elk or bugle in elk you know yeah so i mean i think it just it you know as a hunter and, and trying to take advantage of the seasons we were given like somebody just realized hey these things are rutting there and, and you know trying to imitate them and so i think it was just natural you know wayne carlton you might know the story better that um, you know, he, he was able to kiki run on a turkey call, which we build some of those calls for, um, and just basically realize that, Hey, I sound like an elk went out and, you know, put it to work in September and realize, Hey, we can call these things in pretty effectively. Do a, do a kiki run for everyone. I'm going to do wee, this on wee, a, wee. Oh, you want me to do it my mouth? No, no, hell no. Oh. Do it with a call. Got a whole sack of them. It's a, it's a immature, that's a kiki run immature immature cow or immature uh turkey call and then they it's basically a young a young immature turkey trying to to yelp you know, so yeah they, the guys that hunt turkeys with dogs right um don't they when they when they go in the fall and you scatter up the whole crew scatter up a flock and then they'll kind of get in a central location to try to start calling the flock back together a lot of yeah, a lot of kikis in the fall. Um, yeah, that's you know, the that's one that's the call. I've never done that, but that's yeah. I think that's the call they use. Yeah, that and long drawn out yelps and stuff. But yeah, it's just and so that we design a, a turkey call to do that kiki, and it's very very similar to a cow call. Um, you know, when we get when we get asked like, hey, I'm a turkey caller, never touch an elk call, and so I'm like, hey, can you kiki run on some double and triple reeds? And they said, yeah. I'm like, well, you'll be you're gonna be you know, hit the ground running on elk calls. You'll be able to figure it out real quick. So when you make a when you make a call for that turkey sound, it's just a single reed. It's a tr- it's usually a triple with like a ghost cut. So you're trying to remove. You don't want any overhanging in the middle. You want that middle to be clean so you can get those high pitched kiki runs. I got you. So it's usually like a ghost cut or or a straight read. Hey, uh, real quick, Yanni, explain to explain to these boys the um. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to prepare my mind for what's coming at me. 
Explain to these boys the guy's duck cut. Oh, um, the guy's duck cut. I sent pictures of the guy's duck yep. cut to uh, Jason, but it's basically like a small U-shaped cut out of one side, and then within that U-shape, there's two little micro slits, and then the opposite end of the call, there's a micro slit, and then from there... He starts there, and then to dial in the diaphragm, he just slowly shaves like the leading edge of the top reed. And as that, as you find where you want it to be, you stop. You you just you stop clipping little edges off. You know the front edge off of that call. I don't. I don't. I don't want to criticize, but I feel like folks at home would have no idea what you're talking about. You have to make okay. I can go all the way back to. No, like, I, you know why? I'm, it's my. It's largely my fault. Can, can you explain what? It, explain a diaphragm call to people. I mean, they could, hopefully they they can just pick up their phone and type in like diaphragm elk call. Yeah. So we basically have three parts. We have a piece of tape. We have an aluminum frame. And we have latex. Whether it's single, double, triple stack. Um, and it looks like a filled in horseshoe. Yep. Yep. You got to you put this little piece in your mouth that's maybe inch and a half wide, uh, inch deep, and. Um, that latex in whatever fashion it is vibrates um, as you blow air across it. You get a seal with that tape. All the air that comes out of your diaphragm, your chest will go across that latex, and it vibrates. Um, and it's that vibration that gives us a different sound. So, you know how we have, how we stretch the call, the he- the thickness of the latex, the cuts, the overhangs, all of that affects that sound we get out of that call. And you can put one piece of latex. Yeah, three, four, two, three. Yeah, I mean, and you could use the the latex from a rubber, right? Yep, we, we have uh, used condoms um, when, when uh, the prophylactics in short supply. So a lot of your good turkey calls. Do you really send those out to folks? Uh, we, we have, uh, if, you go to, if you were to go look at my call bin, I've got like tons of rolled up condoms. Like, un- <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no coating on them, but they're just basically raw condoms that we can cut up and, and get squares out of and use to make calls. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you go down and buy all those, at the drugstore. No, 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 no. We Are just, you like, no. oh, you know, just making some game calls? No, they're factory, <laughs> fa- <laughs> factory direct. <laughs> they come in big giant bags. So it's the same latex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's it's one of the types we can use. Can you use latex gloves, latex? That's too thick, usually. Oh, That's usually yeah. like five, six mil. Everything we use is like in the four thousands. The max we use is like five thousands latex, so it's really thin, like dental grade latex. And when you say tape, the body of it's made out of tape. Yep. Tape. It's it's really gaffer's tape. Everything that we use on our calls is basically just the colored gaffer's tape. So really? To, we have yeah. everything in-house then, Seth. Yeah, yeah we, guys are ready. we got you plenty got of gaffer's tape. You guys got condoms, tape, yeah. and aluminum. Pop cam. <laughs> Where do you get the frames from? You, just um, have, you have a manufacturer. Yeah, design, and then we have a progressive die. So it takes like four stages. You know, the first stage, it'll it'll cut the, uh, cut the center out. The second stage will shape the frame. Third will cut the perimeter, and then um, it, it spits into a little bucket. So the thing builds like. And you and, do that in house? No, we don't do that in house. Okay. So we outsource that. So gotcha. That's one of those things. It's just it's too time consuming and it's, it's expensive to do in house. So are you guys like stamping the the frame out of like aluminum or how, how yep. does that come? Yep, that's just um, we we specify the thickness. We played with that. Um, we apply adhesive backer. So there's actually adhesive on the inside of that clamshell. And then it's just a little, it starts its life as a strip that's as, you know, as wide as that. It runs through that progressive die and, and punches it out in like four stages. Our normal, our, our turkey call frames that don't have like the amp 
dome on the top, it's only like a three-stage progressive die. So it's just, um, you know, there's guys that are a lot, I'm, you know, even as an engineer, there's guys that are tooling engineers. They'll just, they'll look at our drawing and say, oh, this is the most efficient way to, to build this part. Yeah. So what we were talking about is when you make one of these calls, you stretch the, you stretch the elastic or stretch the latex. Mm-hmm. And then there's all kinds of manipulations you can do to the latex, cutting little shapes and doing them, whatnot. And that's always done on the top read, correct? You can do it on the bottom read, but it doesn't have any effect. I mean, you can cut the heck out of the bottom read, but it, it's that top read that has the overhanging material that vibrates because you're pushing air basically from the bottom to the top. Those top little fingers or any of the overhanging material is what's vibrating, giving you that rasp on a turkey call. Where on an elk call, you see that we usually always have a leading edges straight, and that's so we can get those clean, more elk-like sounds. We don't want anything right. overhanging. Um, you don't want any raspy old hand yeah, I mean, yeah, or, or I'm on the elk call side, we'll just do that with our voice or, you know, throat or yeah. whatever. So our buddy um, likes to, I don't want to, I'm not going to, I don't want to insult your business. Maybe you even encourage it. No, no. Our buddy is so particular. Our buddy Guy Zuck is so particular. He's been on this show. He he calls turkeys, he, a lot of times, he used to be a competitive no-call caller. Just mouth. Mouth calling. Caller. Voice, but he, yeah. But... He's particular, so he likes to get one that's not been cut because he likes to make his own little cuts in it with fly tying scissors. Um, do you do you sell stuff for that purpose? Do you have a lot of people that like to do that that are so we, finicky? We don't. I think. I mean, and that's what it's unfortunate that um, you know we're trying to to design these and build them for the masses. And so I think you know, guy sounds like he might be like a one percenter. Like nobody wants that. They want to be able to open the store, oh, yeah. call out the package, and be ready to roll. But when you here's what I'm trying to drive at. So then Yanni explained he talked about what he does with his scissors again. Like how he cuts that little he cuts that latex piece. Yeah, he definitely had there was a set of steps to make sure like he would pull it one direction, cut it, and that would make the little U. Then you get in there, make two little cuts within the U. And this is all on the top read. Then you go to the far end of that piece of latex, cut a little slit. And when I'm talking little, it's like micro sixteenth of an inch, yep. probably. And then shave like a sixteenth of an inch yep. off the overhanging edge. And then as he called on it, if it was too raspy, he would back off and keep cutting and shorten yep. that top read until he Wait, got the sound he liked. I need to put my reading glasses on just to think about him in there doing that. Which all makes sense. I mean, the more overhanging material, the raspier. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can, you know, cut that back. It's just we try to get you know, when we do all of our cutting, we're trying to get you to 95% of the way there. That's, you know, I hate to say the word good enough when we're trying to build really good calls, but, you know, we get there, that call is good enough for 95% of the guys that pull out of the box. Right. And I wouldn't trust 99% of people taking scissors to one of our calls because they're going to screw it up in some form. Oh, yeah, I don't have, yeah. He also told me to keep mine, he, he made three of them for me and told me to keep it in the fridge. Yep, fridge and freezer is by far the best. Oh, really? Place. Yeah. Freezer. Freezer. Uh, get them dry and then throw them in the freezer. Same with your spear gun bands. Is that right? Yep. I hang mine in the garage. I know. You're supposed <laughs> to keep a spear gun band in the freezer? Yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah. I'm going to have a little area in my freezer. It's full of calls and spear gun bands. That was a common question. We had a lot. Of, we we asked for questions um, for this podcast about elk calls and calling and whatnot. And a lot of people asked, like, how long do they last? What's this? And what's the best storage? Can we technique? can we hold that a minute? Because I still sure. need to put this one idea to bed. Okay. Then you can pick that up. Sounds good. When you saw the guy's up cut. Were you like, oh, I've seen that a thousand times. That ain't shit. Or did you look at it and be like, huh? 
No, we we make a corner cut call that has a real similar cut. Now, where he takes it to the next level when he's putting those little micro cuts in, he's re- he's releasing tension in that upper reed to pull that tune in to where he wanted. You just, like I say, we've seen that cut. It makes sense on, on why it works the way it does. But um, we just we do a corner cut and then we don't put any of the micro cuts in. Gotcha. And I believe the corner cut, right? What he liked about it is that he feels that I think that you can get raspy on one side of it and then exactly. blow on the other side of it and get that clean sound that's, to be able to do a key key run. Exactly. And that's why the combo cut's the most popular tricky call cut because you have you have the triangle and the overhanging on the left side, and then you have like a clear space on the right side. And so you can direct air at different directions on the call and clean it up or add rasp. Are you serious? You're doing that? Oh yeah, and and so you're channeling the left, right, left, right. Yeah. So and I'm I'm not even a tricky call nerd compared to some of these guys. Some of these guys will like I'll get an email like, hey, I'm a right, I'm a right, a right side blower. I'm like, um, okay, you know, I'm like, well, can't you just move the air to the other side? Because because we usually cut like our combo cut. I always put the the V and the triangle on one side of the call. He's like, can you build that call for me in reverse? I'm like, well, can't can't you just blow the other way? You know, but huh, some of these guys are that particular. So these tricky calls, they're. They're nuts. So Turkey what? Colors are nuts. Seth, you, what, do, you, are you right? You are you what right, right or left side blower? versus left side? I'm just dead, dead nuts oh, down dead nuts. center. Center man. Yeah. Like, is it just? I'm like, showing Cal right now. Where you open your mouth? No, like they're directing either the the most of the air here the on right the left side. right side of the diaphragm or the left side of the diaphragm. And if you had the overhanging material on this side and you directed it to the right side, you'd have cleaner sound. Or if you directed it at the cut and the overhanging material, you'd pick up more of that rasp. I'm, maybe I do that stuff, but I sure don't think about it. That's a, like, yeah. that's next level turkey calling. Yeah, I'm gonna get a shirt. If your buddy guy Zuck would lower right himself <laughs> to using other turkey techniques than calling, you probably wouldn't have to mess around with any of that stuff, such as decoys and fans <laughs> and things like that. He doesn't like those things. Says he doesn't want to. No, go to he hell. was impressed by my custom turkey D- fan different guy. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry, I screwed that up. Who's he talking about? Parker? Parker. Yeah. Oh. No, this guy is named Guy. <laughs> Which is confused the hell out of my kids when they met him. They're like, what's his name? It's like, his name's Guy. No, what's that guy's name? <laughs> <laughs> um, he, doesn't ble- he doesn't like to use decoys. Nope. But he did like my fan that I made. He liked how creative and inventive it was. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Um... Okay, now I'll go into what you're going my, with. My fan proved his reasoning for not using decoys. He'd rather mess up with the calls or something else that he did as opposed to having the decoy mess it up. And I'm like, no, but this fan works every single time. And so I went and sat down where we knew a gobbler was coming through in the afternoons, and I saw the gobbler coming. And as soon as the gobbler got within range of seeing that decoy, he picked up his head, and he looked at it, and he turned around once, looked at it, turned around again, looked at it, and then turned around a third time and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> the more, yeah, the more I look at your uh, turkey fan. What's his name? Oh, uh, he had a few names. Dirty Harry. Slim Shady. Slim Shady. Slim Shady. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The more I look Slim at Slim Jim. Shady, the more incredulous I get. It just is like... Uh, Were you incredulous about how many turkeys came running to him? No, but the more I look at him, the more I could see that some turkeys would be like, what? Yeah. And you had that, I thought you had that problem in Wisconsin. No. The old, that's what I heard. That Slim Shady was scaring him away. No, the only bird that he scared away was that one in oh. Michigan that, like, guys like prophetic, prophetically said that it would, and then it did. 
All right, go on with what you're going on about. Uh, what were we going to talk about? Uh, storage and length of and lifetime of a call. Speak to that. You know, during use, like practice, I would say, you know, six months, a year out of them, no problem. Turkey calls, um, especially flat turkey calls, double, triple reads, you're going to get, you know, years out of them. Um, it's just the way they're designed and constructed. Now, like our, our elk calls, the amp frames, the way we stretch that latex is a lot looser so that they're more user-friendly. Um, you know, you get six months to a year out of it. But I say during hunting season, you're probably switching out diaphragms once every three days. Um, if you're bugling a lot, seriously, a lot. yeah, it's just the. I mean, because so you make the amp frame that's meant for people that suck at calling. No, I mean we all use them too. It makes our our job really easy. It's it, they make the right tones. Oh, I love um, them. But but the the one downside is you stretch them so loose, the latex fairly loose, in order to get that ease of use that you will tend to you know blow them out after three days, and it's not necessarily blow them out. The, the diaphragm just gets tortured when it's in your mouth all day. That's really the driving factor on wearing that thing down fast versus when you're practicing at home, you know, you pick it off the counter, blow on it for 10 minutes, throw it back on the counter, and it, it gets a chance to dry out. Where when you're elk hunting, you typically have that thing, you know, stuffed in your cheek for you know, hours on end, and that's really what starts to tear that thing apart, just being wet all the time. Uh, Guy Zuck warned us against eating um, buffalo squirrel legs and stuff like that and then using your call. Do you believe that? Like just specifically buffalo squirrel, no, and it, spicy, spicy, oh, spicy foods. I, I'm more. He says it'll weaken the latex. I'm more worried about um, sugar sticking everything together. Oh, okay. Like you know, somebody taking, especially like the external cow calls, but all this stuff. You, if there's multiple layers, you know, you you drink a swig of Gatorade and then you go blow on the call right away. Well, now you got sugar in every crack and everything sticking and, and salt. Playing, right? Yeah, yeah. So is that right? I never thought yeah, of that. Yeah, sugary stuff, especially on the externals for sure. Like. That makes those those mylar reeds stick up, and so you know, just swig out some water before you go crank on a call. How do you know when it's no good anymore? This doesn't sound good anymore. For us, it just starts to get dead. Like you go to hit a high note bugle, and you're really trying to like throw it down the canyon, and it's like, uh, it just kind of falls on its face. Is it cool to drive around with them on your dashboard in the hot sun? Uh, no, I, well, it's cool for me as a business owner because you have to buy. <laughs> you're gonna have to buy some more calls. I have that problem, man. A lot of times I'll get in my truck; it's so hot it burns your legs, yeah, and I'll be like, yeah. and my calls land. I'm like, ah, yeah, no, it's not good. Support so, Phelps game calls. Yeah, Leave dash. We're, that's our next product that's coming out. Is your um, diaphragm dash store? You just you just line all your diaphragms up on your dash and cook them to 160. So you got to buy some new ones. I like to uh, open up my little call pouch opening day of the archery season and and then start digging through all my diaphragms that have pine needles and odd coloration to them and start popping those in my mouth and being like, (laughs) I found them in my clothes dryer and assume those are no good anymore. Were you leaving your pants pocket? Some of them make it through. Oh, yeah. I think, Dirk, you sent one through the dryer. Yeah, I yeah. sent one through the dryer, and it, it still sounded pretty good. Pretty good. It wasn't fresh and articulate, but it was pretty good. Uh, do you guys get product returns where people re- return that it doesn't work? We because do. they don't know how to use it? We do. I usually try to take care of them in like a roundabout way or give them a different option. But you do, and it, it's tough because you don't want to tell the person they suck. Would you, or, just, or, would you just call them on the phone and be like, here's the call. Here's your call. <laughs> No, I've wanted to. I've wanted people, if it wasn't so gross, send them back, and then I'm going to send you an audio file of me using that exact call you sent back, and the thing does work. But we usually take care of them. But, yeah, there are a lot of people, especially this time of year, you know, new callers getting them and saying, this thing doesn't work, and you just kind of bite your tongue and take care of them. You do? Here's one. Here's one. People will call up. <clears throat> they had bought a diaphragm, used it a bit, put it back in the in the 
the Ziploc baggie it came in and they seal it up wet. And then they, like two weeks later, this thing's moldy. It's moldy. Well, you put it back in there wet. Um, it's fermented spit. Yeah, yeah. It's gross. Yeah. You can't do that. That's bad for calls. Ugh. Bad for everybody. Bad for Phelps customer bad, service too. Bad for hygiene. Bad for a lot of stuff. Yeah. So keep them. Uh, you like to keep them in the freezer. Yep. Dry out. Lay. I mean, I'll just lay them on the counter for two or three hours after I use them. Let them dry out, and then, you know. So I'm pretty fortunate. I just go build new calls when I want calls. But you know, but if you're gonna, if you're buying and investing in these things, definitely you know, fridge and freezer, dark, um, dark kitchen counter, uh, you know, or dark um, drawer, any of that stuff will work best. Is it bad to soak them in mouthwash? It's not, it, it, the acid in there can definitely break them down. I know a lot of people like brush them with their toothbrush at the end of the year, you know, or clean them off, but I would advise not putting any, you know, some of that stuff is abrasive in your toothpaste or mouthwash. And, and alcohol gotcha. in there too. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's, it's alcohol and, you know, pretty acidic and I think I, w- I would stay away from any of that sort of stuff. Okay. I've never had no Because I've done that. that. I've done that a few times. Yeah. Soaked it in mouthwash. Yeah, just to make sure, like, there's no funk growing on there yeah i'm with you you know looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift You can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater. Make sure you use code MeatEater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. Hey, heads up all you anglers. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in Montana, based in Helena. After building custom fly rods for more than 25 years, 
Montana native and lifelong fly fisherman Scott Joyner decided to apply his knowledge in designing three performance-driven fly rod models. These rods were designed to be performance rods and to withstand the abuse that a fishing guide's equipment endures day in, day out. Their fly rods are named after Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks fishing access sites, which is such a cool idea. And each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Montana casting company fly rods have been developed to achieve the perfect balance of performance, durability, and legacy quality craftsmanship. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. What... uh What's the most common mistake that people make when they're trying to start learning how to call? Um, keep keep it general. I, Any I, kind I of think, call. I think the most common mistake is per, someone will pull it out of the package, put it in their mouth, and try to do a full, big, nasty bugle and not succeed and be like, well, I can't do this. Obviously, I don't know what I'm doing. You, know, there, you hear that a lot. And I always like to preach fundamentals. Learn how to make noises first and then turn those noises into elk calls. So, what kind of noises? Um, the one I like, the high pitch noise is probably the hardest, hardest one to make. You kind of go to it, kind of a mosquito noise, I like to call it. Let me, let me put, throw a call on this okay. here. Here we go. Tell us what you're pulling out of your pocket. So, I'm going to pull out an amp reed. This is the Maverick. This is the one I did, designed with Jason. And, uh, and I, I taught my kids how to do, to call it with the same concept. So, you want to make this high pitch mosquito noise. So that segues into how to cow call. So once you kind of figure out how to hit that high-pitched mosquito noise, then Just you roll that thing around in your mouth until you can do that. Yeah. And then once you make that mosquito noise, relax your tongue. So it just kind of let your tongue fall away. And then you'll start hitting the pitches of a cow call. Dropping your jaw. Right. I uh, struggled with diaphragms. I mean, I'm still like not at all remotely great, but I struggled with diaphragms for a long time and then realized that I had it about a half inch too far forward. Oh, wow. And once it occurred to me where it belongs on the roof of your mouth made all the difference. Oh, yeah. You Too far back, you'll gag. Yeah. Too far forward, it'll make your tongue tickle. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first started doing it, I'm like, how could anyone ever bear this the feeling of that? And then then I went like gradually back, back, back. And the more I went back, 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 the more I was like, Oh, this isn't like the worst thing in the world. But it's a great regret of mine not um devoting more time to learning how to call when I was younger. My brother Danny always liked to call. Ducks, whatever. And so it was kinda like as long as someone liked it, they just became like the person that did it, you know, and you weren't forced to do it. But my God, I wish like not learning Spanish and not learning how to call better earlier are two huge misses because it's frustrating, man. It, it is. And then I think, you know, some people that spend a lot of time not necessarily being great or not doing it the right way. It's tough to like rewind and say, all right, the, the call needs to be placed here. You need to do this. They're just kind of trapped in that. Well, this is as good as I'm going to get. And then they just ride that out. That's pretty much where I like I have a range of noises where I'm like, they achieve the results I'm looking for, and I've basically stopped my education there. And I need to like keep going, but 
Every year, I'm like, yeah, I'll just do this. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. Like, you know, guys, guys like me and Dirk that can, you know, call the, you know, all these sounds and make all these perfect tones. Uh, you know, I think, you know, like you just said, you're effective with what you've got. I don't, you don't have to, and that's another thing that rolls right into the beginner. A lot of these guys learn to call, or but then they go out in the woods and they're super unconfident. Like they got a bull bugle and they're like, ah, I'm not going to call. Or I don't want to screw this up. Where it's yeah. like, I think, you know, we've called in some horrible sounding elk. You know, and, and it's just you be confident and make that sound and see what happens versus new callers. Just they, they might play around with the calls. But they go out there and they're just silent. They, they're scared to do anything. My brother and I, when we first started calling, he sounded horrible. It sounded like he stepped on a rabbit and then kicked a chihuahua or something. Yeah. It sounded horrible. But he would, <clears throat> he would put so much emphasis and so much emotion in, into his calls. Man, he just piss off the elk. They would just come. And I'm like, that sounds terrible. But man, bulls would react and they would come in. I think a lot of guys make the mistake of making that real pretty bugle over and over and over again, but there's no emotion to it. You might hear that scent, that guy, you know, in the woods, it's like, yeah. over and over again. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You might get a bull to answer, but you don't piss them off. So step out of the box and let her rip, you know, make some tones that are a little off. That's okay. As long as you're putting some emotion into it. We yeah, are. it sounds like a bull that's just making a noise for the yeah. sake of making a noise, mm-hmm. which they do, mm-hmm. versus the bull who's like, hey, this is where I am, or where the hell are you guys? I'm going to fight you. Yeah. <laughs> but you hear some crazy sounds too, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I, we, when we were first starting, st- first started elk hunting, we'd sit there all the time and debate, is that a guy or an elk? Is that a guy or an elk? And then I remember one time, um, we were hunting the Sapphire Range, and- convinced ourselves that it was a guy because not only was it like you saying just that like perfect little bugle over and over and over again but it was coming from up by a road and we get up there and walk into you know 20 cows and a big bull standing there oh man and i'm like man how do you know you know (laughs) (laughs) you say you can always tell right no there's there's oh you've been duped yeah well i don't want to be so it's like a pride thing i don't want to be called in by a hunter or somebody to see me and and say i called in phelps big phelps i I called in phelps so there's been like a lot of times like i'm ready to bail like last second bail i'm getting and then then here comes a bull coming over the ridge and i'm like i'm glad glad we stuck it out yeah, some dude's gonna have his, cam- his phone pointed at you yeah. to get on camera. Yeah. Phelps comes. You better be hoping he's using your calls. Yeah. Yeah. If he's using your calls, you'd be like, "Oh, that's why it happened, yeah. bro." Yeah. Hit him another one, Yanni. Yanni went and solicited these questions. That's right. Thank you for everyone that uh, helped us out and participated. Um, should we stick with the beginner type stuff yeah. while, while we're here? Um, what is step one? We got a lot of that, like a lot of beginners just being like, where, where is step, like, give me ground zero, step one. What's the first thing I need to do if I want to learn how to elk call? So, uh, you know, we do a lot of marketing, you know, we've got all of our signature calls. I would say don't jump into those right away, even though I'd love you to buy one of Minor Dirk's personal calls, like start at a, at a different level. And, and I don't want to sound like a used car salesman, but get two. And because what happens is, you know, there's different latexes, different thicknesses, if you maybe buy the gray and don't try the black, you might say, man, I suck at this, but that gray doesn't fit your calling style the way you, you know, apply pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so our recommendation is typically buy 
Um, and I'm going to get pretty specific in our own line of calls here, like the black amp and Go the ahead. gray amp. And, we'll, and this goes for any brand, though. Hey, sorry. We've been saying amp a lot, but I don't think anybody knows what amp is yet. Can you explain so that? So amp is is the frame that we we developed. It's you know it's got a bunch of amplify, um, aluminum metal plate. There's a bunch of different acronyms we tied all into that amp. Um, and so the calls that, that are these amp, you know, they've, they've got the logo stamped on our calls. Um, but it's just a... It's basically got a radius uh, hybrid plate that sits over the latex, and what that does is make the call easier to both cow call and bugle. Back when we made the old school flat frames, um, it was kind of a it was a wonder. It was either cow call or it was a bull call, and then to make a call that did both, it just wasn't great at anything. So the nice thing about these amp frames is um, they're smaller. They fit. They fit most people, um, you know, narrow pallets, high pallets, but it really gives us as a designer um, or call builders, um, you know, a call that it, it is good cow call, is a very good bull call, and you don't really want anything else besides that one call once you find the one that fits. So that's that's what the amp, um, when we refer to amp, we're just talking about the specific series of diaphragms that we make. And that's what you recommend for any new to caller. some mug who's like dying to get started yeah unless you're like the 67 year old guy that says i've been using those quadruple framed out calls for the last 50 years then we'll maybe send them over into our triple read flat but if you're a new caller definitely start with the single reads um in the amp frame just name a call what name a call they should buy black amp and gray amp oh, okay Simple, so simple. I, so they, they they would go and be like there that is yep and so i black I'm, amp this is um one of marketing genius on my part because nobody ever calls the dang calls by their name they're like hey i've got your one call that's was white. I want another one of those. So oh, like, you're like, oh, you mean the dirty, hairy, yeah, triple, yeah, yeah. And so, purple, nurple. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it just made sense on on the normal amp line. We just called them by their color. So you got amp black. That is marketing gray. genius. Yeah. It just made my life way easier than having to try to figure out what color they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like, you know, what do you call it? It's the gray one. Yep. That'd be the gray one. Yeah. <laughs> so the so the amp black and amp gray are what we recommend to all new colors. Try those. Let us know which one you like. That way you don't get stuck buying ten calls that might not work for you, or three calls that might not work for you. When you, if you tell me the amp black is your go-to, I'll say all right, let's get green and orange next time maybe. Or if the black is all you need, that, that's the other thing we get. Hey man, I really love your gray call. What other one should I try? I'm like more gray calls. It's like you don't <laughs> don't keep like searching for like this you know the grass isn't always greener just if it works for you stay with it but right um, the other thing we get into is like I don't want to oversell everybody like well do you want a bugle well you might need a bugle tube because our diaphragms need to be blown through a bugle tube and so then you get the questions and so if you are going to get a bugle tube if that's your intention is to go out there and locate bulls and, and call bulls in with bugle tubes um, the larger unleashed or the renegade are going to be easier for you to use. Um, we also have a backpacking version, the Unrivaled. It's a little guy. That thing's sweet. It, it's a lot nicer, but it's it's not quite as loud. Doesn't have quite deep of tones, but the the one positive the is- The carryability. Yeah, it's just, it's it's way less room in your pack and it still gets the job done. But a new caller is going to find that the larger tube's easier for them to use. Oh, and you could beat a barrel to head Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. You can play pinecone pine baseball and during your lunch break and all kinds of stuff. Hey, have you ever- um, Oh, that's a good idea. You could play pinecone baseball with that. Have you guys ever? I, I know you'd only sell like five of them. Do you guys ever make uh, moose tubes? We do. Um, it's just a cutoff version of our bugle tubes, though. Um, every year when the draws come out, yeah, I can almost tell when the draws come out because somebody will say, Hey, will you modify me a tube for a moose call? And so we just cut rather than the back pressure on the end of these larger tubes, we'll just cut them at that first um, so you don't get any back pressure. Yeah, the, but you still need to be able to beat brush with it. That's why yeah. it's nice to have it pretty heavy duty. Yep. Uh, we, yeah, we just cut them at the knuckle, um, and, and we don't we don't market them, but we we will make them for people. 
What makes this bugle tube different than just going and buying a wiffle ball bat and cutting the ends off it and blowing through Big it? Big Bertha. You know that wiffle ball bat? I'm going to let Dirk go ahead since... So we started out with with uh, wiffle ball bats, right? And and uh, like Phelps game calls you used to sell wiffle ball. I bats? used to Absolutely. buy un unbadged fat bats. You know the the little kids fat bats. Big Berthas. Yep, I would buy them. I would say, hey, they had a mold that didn't have the fat bat logo in them. Send me those ones, and I would sit and modify fat bats for days in my shop. What heating um, them up and putting a little lip? Yeah, on? I, I had a big industrial lathe. I would put like a hole saw on, poke the holes in the end. You know, sit there and run them through, cut the ends off, burn them smooth them over, um, you know, modify those. And so when I was told that Fat Bat was no longer making or that mold was basically done, it was no good anymore, it, it was kind of a, a blessing in disguise for, for me as a company because I'm like, all right, now I've got to go get my own mold made. And at that time, I'm like, let's take everything we we like about the bat and include it, but let's take everything we want to add to it at this point um, and add it in. So Yeah. And the thing is, the trouble with those bats, you don't get – the right back pressure and back pressure equals like good note articulation. So if you struggle hitting those high notes when you're bugling, um, and you know, getting those, like hit that staircase of notes, mm-hmm. uh, it, you, you would struggle with a, one of those old bats, but with these new, uh, engineered, um, bugle tubes, uh, Jason went through a lot of, um, trial and error with what's that computer program that you I, did? I'm an, I'm a nerd. I'm gonna let everybody know I'm a nerd. So I went and got charts over like you know, male, male lung capacity at different ages. And so there's a, there's a program, I'm going to let all my competitors, if, if they're listening. Well, you don't have to say So there's a, there's a program called SolidWorks, it's, which is basically a mechanical engineering program. I could build this bat, say, let's send a 30 year old male's volume through this. What back pressure do we get? You know, based on the end size hole. And so I could sit here as a nerd and say, all right, we want to change the shape. And I added corrugations because we didn't want all that air just flowing down the sides of that tube. So you can feel that we added corrugations. We wanted to disrupt that air and get some reverb back in the tube. So there's a lot of stuff we did that was based on, you know. Explain the back pressure just a little bit more because I'm not quite following. So let's say, you see how big this tube is. For everybody that can't see, we have a four inch diameter, big, big tube that looks like a a kid's wiffle ball bat. Yeah, like I could knock Giannis out. Yeah, 24 inch long wiffle ball bat. No problem. Or you can take, let's say, like a one-inch piece of PVC. Like, just fundamentally, you're thinking, like, well, that one-inch PVC doesn't take near as much air, right? Because it's so so much smaller. But the way that works is it actually takes more air to, to run a diaphragm through that one-inch PVC because your air is just straight flowing through it. Whereas when you fill this, I kind of imagine you fill this tube up with that initial amount of air. And then the cup at the end actually kind of just backs the air up down the tube down the tube all the way to where your diaphragm's at. And so you can kind of relax a little bit. You don't have to just run, you know, 100% max air through that tube because the way we've cupped the end and designed that hole size, it kind of lets you relax in there at like, you know, 50. I'm just going to throw crazy numbers out there, 50, 60% um, air. So you're saying you're still getting the same volume and same energy. Volume. You're just using that tube to basically assist you on running that diaphragm. Rip a couple big bugles, you guys. And what's really crazy, like if it's cold out, and you're out, you just rip one big old bugle and you just slight, as soon as you just slightly take your tube away from your lips, mm-hmm. you can feel air come rush back onto your lips a little bit. You can feel that back flow, that back pressure flow onto your lips. It's weird. Interesting. So I'll rip one first. Sorry, Jason. No, go ahead. Yeah, just lean, is your, lean, is this your, lean is this back your to the wall. Right here? Oh, you got your own? I'm, who is this, Yanni's? That's mine. You can use it. <laughs> Oh, it gets me fired up. Gives me a little. <laughs> Go ahead. 
You picking that up, Phil? Oh, yeah. Behind your little curtain over there? <laughs> For See a bunch of smoke come out back there. <laughs> <laughs> everybody listening, that was a blue call and a red call. So if you want to sound like that, you got to buy the blue call See, I just screwed that and all the up. red call. This was like a batch I just made for the World Calling Champion. So <laughs> scratch, scratch at. Cal said I was blown on a pink call. What did you make those for? We just got back last weekend from the World Out Calling Championships in Park City, Utah. Really? So what goes on at that? So I noticed someone asked about that. See how good hosting that was, Giannis? I was going to mention it. You're going you're to point out the hosting skills? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what goes on at the World L Calling? You get up on stage and call the seven judges behind the screen. Um, like Phil is right now. Yeah, yeah. Phil wouldn't know. So he wouldn't have known who Dirk or I was right there, and he would he would try to tell you who he thought was better. The first caller. No, caller number one. <laughs> caller number one. <laughs> so, uh, and you guys are competing? Yeah. Yeah, we... Uh, Dirk, ju- not judging, but so competing. So Dirk, Dirk absolutely hates the fact, and he doesn't want me to ever reference it, but you're six-time world champion? I don't know. He hates he hates that fact. He hates to use it for anything. Because you don't you don't like sound like a blowhard. Yeah, he'd I, rather like take pictures in September behind a dead bull is his his yeah. prize. But um, but you okay? So yeah, I've won, won it several times in the men's uh, division, right? Yep. The men's. What am- was the last amateur. year that you won? Uh, three years ago, three, three, four years ago. You and Damien had all the call offs three years ago. Yeah, so it would have been four years ago. You four won. years ago, I won first. Yeah. And what do you win when you win? Uh, cash prizes, and then you win a bunch of cool crap. You know, uh, rifle scopes and bows and rifles, and just depends on the package they put together for the year. But I've won rif- rifles before, and um, I think I won a bow. I don't think I ever won a bow, but how many uh, times did you win the world championship? Like six times. Seriously? Yeah. How old are you? Forty-five. So but I've lost a lot more more times than I've ever won it. I mean, I started competing in 96, I think, 95, 95. So. It's so competitive. How you feeling being 45? I'm 45. I hate it. Yeah, I got a weird, <laughs> uh, I got weird aches and pains. Yeah. You want to know where one is right now? In there. Oh, really? That would never happen to a guy like Seth. Uh-uh. No, it doesn't Like a trice, upper tricep? No, it's like a something weird pinched nerve in there. Because I'm doing the Armstrong pull-up regimen. Uh-oh. It's getting painful. Are you, are you keeping up with the push-ups? I haven't been doing that part of it. Did yeah. you put a, <laughs> a bar in your house? I got a bar in my house, and I hung two at work. I hit that one up uh, upstairs yesterday. You know, I'm sure, fo- sure the production team really likes your placement. Oh, is there a problem with the placement? No. You know, one of good. our colleagues thought that me and Seth hung it up to hang beavers from. Which I'm like, what the hell kind of beavers do you think we're? <laughs> I think it's a fair question. <laughs> yeah, we've been flashing beaver hides in the morning a little bit. We've got a few of them done. But yeah, someone thought it was for beaver hanging. It's like, how are people going to get through here when you hang beavers from that? It's just a pull-up bar. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, man. So you like being 45 or you think it's hard? No, it is hard. It sucks. You know, you just... You just you can't build muscle mass like you could before. It's hard to get back into shape. I mean, a guy should probably stay in shape year-round, but rounds of shape, too, and I kind of tend to go, <laughs> go that way in the wintertime. <laughs> but, uh, uh, man, I wish I knew back when I was in my 20s what I know now and have, like, the gear, the quality calls and the gear and stuff that I had back when I was 20. I wish I had them back then. Man, Idaho had tons of beautiful elk back then. Not, not, not so much anymore. It would have been... It would have been awesome, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So, I was telling my brother the the other day, man. I was like, dude, we lived through the good old days, man. Yeah, it's crazy because 
I get older every year and it seems like no. the hunts I go on are harder and harder every year. Like not just <clears throat> because my age, but we, we're going to like some nasty, nasty places before we'd kill elk in a lot easier places. And now it's just like to, to get them consistently, we're going to some stupid places and I'm like, I thought when you got old, you kind of got to go back to the easy stuff again. And I'm like, when is that going to happen? So yeah, well, I think a lot of guys get old, and with age comes like you get you come more financially secure, mm-hmm. and so then you just start hunting private land. Yeah, I don't think I can do that. Well, it's just it's, I mean, it's a thing that happens, right? Yeah, because you're like you know we'd be like think nothing that we'd walk nine miles and carry a cow out, right? You know, and you don't like you don't run into a lot of seventy year old dudes doing that. No, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how much longer. I mean, I got. I'm planning on having a lot more left in me, but if I live, if I live all the years I've been alive over again, I'll be dead. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that I don't like the feeling. Of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a buddy. His dad's pushing seventy. And so he'd he, be 140. Yeah. <laughs> He's a tough old bird. I mean, that guy hunts some nasty Idaho backcountry, very few elk, lots of wolves, you know, he, and they consistently kill bulls, you know, and, but he's just a tough old guy and he's had knee surgeries and back surgeries and everything, but he just, he, he just like, I'm going to do this until I can't possibly walk up the trail anymore. When I meet, if I meet a guy, like when I meet an older feller and he can form a pretty good sentence and still does a lot of hunting. I'm always like, how old are you? And if he says like 65, I'm like, wow, oh, sweet. <laughs> 20 more years. <laughs> Still some hope. 20 more years, you know. That's awesome. How old are you now, Seth? I'm uh, going to be 28 in August. My goodness. Man. I'm old enough to be your daddy. Not quite. Mm, that's... No, sure he is. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. is. Like physiologically? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> But in our generation, not well. That's not true. I guess there were a few dudes that made babies that early, but not. No, most people far, were. Far I mean, what, by, I remember by the time I finished high school, I remember four girls would. When I was finishing high school, there were four girls that would, their moms would bring their babies down, to show them off at the end of school. At the end of the school day. Yeah. Wow, yeah, there's a lot I of. Didn't, I didn't have any. Of that. There's, a fair, a, of a, there's a fair bit of there's a fair bit of attrition too, from drinking and driving. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's changed a little bit too now. You mean within your high school? This has nothing to do with. No, I'm talking about kids high from girls. high school getting killed off from drinking from yeah. just vehicle accidents right. and drinking and driving and whatnot. Anyhow, what's the next one you got, Yanni? We strayed a little bit, let's Jason. Get into, let's get into some tactics. Unless there's anything else you guys want to say about the world, I like how world getting older immediately, quickly transit. You, you touched on birth, new life just briefly before you got into just death. Come yeah, that's called that. premier hosting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 45. I, I, I'm I didn't want to leave so. everyone on a negative note <laughs> by talking about young people having babies. Jason, can you overcall an elk? And how do you know if you've done it? Can you That's over- a good one. Everybody says don't call too much. 
So I'm gonna break I'm gonna break this down into two segments. Like location, I don't think you can overlocate. Like the things you're either gonna answer you or it's not. Like I can locate, throw another locator, like are there elk down there, are there elk down there. I think when you move in close and, and you know you get set up and try to call this bull and I think you can overcall. Um, you know, sometimes they're you know, playing the game, they're wanting you to respond or they're wanting to respond or they're moving in close. And that bull, I think silence sometimes is your best key. You let him know, hey, I'm within 100 yards of you. And that thing gets, you know, somewhat curious to come find you versus if you keep hammering or to keep calling, you're going to, that bull's just going to potentially take his cows and go away. What do you think he's thinking when you overcall? Is he thinking that's a mug or is he thinking that this is some crazy elk that I don't feel like dealing with? I think he just doesn't want to lose his cows, this crazy bull that's down there calling. I think that's more of his, you know, he's he's going to grab his cows and try to get out of here if you're just going to sit in that one spot. Um, you know, some of the out-of-the-box out stuff, I know you hunt out-of-the-box as well, Dirk, sometimes. But, you know, like, just bugling as you walk towards the bull, yeah, you risk it. What do you mean you hunt out-of-the-box? So, like, not just, I mean, we do all these seminars and stuff like, oh, you set up 70 yards away. Oh, and you, yeah. You do it. So, I'm just going to keep, with the I'm going I'm to bugle and keep walking at you. You know, and some of this stuff, and that bull's like, well, now he's coming, I'm going to have to go deal with him, versus if I sat at 120 yards, beagled, 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 he's like, well, I'm just going to grab my cows and get out of here. That thing's not coming any closer. Um, versus if you were to beagle that same amount but start walking towards him, it could be a completely different situation because now he has no other chance, you know, choice but to deal with you. Um, so, yeah, I think you can definitely overcall elk. Um, typically, I think at the point I know I've overcalled elk is when his next bugle is 150 yards, and then he's 200 yards, and, um, you know, typically then we'll have to – reset up, move closer, and then try to do it again. Do you, when you're calling to an elk and all of a sudden he splits, do you feel that it's possible to say he splits because he still thinks I'm an elk, but he's grabbing his cows and going, or he splits because he's just suspicious? No, I think you, I think you um, could definitely you know, stay with him. He he just doesn't want to lose his cows. So there's been many times where we've called bulls and on the fourth, fifth, sixth setup where we're just kind of shadowing him, trying to get closer and closer. And pushes buttons. And all of a sudden he's like, okay, now nah, Yeah, he'll finally back. turn. Yeah. I feel like sometimes too, <clears throat> you'll get those stalemates and those bulls will want you to show yourself. They're like, all right, I've came all this far. It's time for you to come my my way a bit. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want to get shot and killed. Well, if he's believing the calls though, he thinks you're a bull. And if, and if you watch a lot of elk behavior, they kind of, they like, kind of like to check each other out a little bit. Maybe kind of, they do that little walk thing by each other and kind of show each other off. And it's like, I don't know if I want to fight or I do. And then they decide to fight. And I think, um, they want that leap of faith. It's like, all right, I've came this far. You got to give me something, show, show yourself or come closer. Um, and sometimes if, if you don't show yourself and you've had a stalemate, let's say that bull's 50 yards, you can't see him in this kind of thick timber or something. And then they sometimes just kind of move off. I think he thinks you're a coward at that point. It's like, yeah, you talk pretty tough, but you never really showed yourself. So usually if they're trying to leave, I'm running at them. I'm taking off after them. I rip a big nasty challenge bugle and I'm, I'm running towards them to say, hey, where the heck are you going, man? Come back. I want to fight. And I've done this a lot, and it, that, it, it works pretty good. See, that's cool, man. But that—that's like, that's like having a really good understanding of his temperament, man. Yeah, it's cool. I, I kind of go all in on on those deals. It's like every time I play play the 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 elk game, you know, back and forth, bugling with this bull. It's like I'm going all in. This is this is a one shot deal. I'm probably not going to come back to him in a couple. You know, just kind of tiptoe around the edges. And then maybe have something happen. And if it don't work, I'll come back in a day or two and try him again. Now, I'm going to go in there and – because what do elk do? They usually – they bugle back and forth. They come together. They fight. They, they figure it out. And then they 
go their separate ways. So I'm going to go up there, get in, get in his face and try to push him, try to make him mad, appeal to his anger, make him make a mistake to where he finally just says, heck with it. I'm so mad at you. I'm not going to pay attention to wind. I'm just going to come in a straight line to come right to you. So. Well, I guess here, here's what I'm trying to ask. I'm not asking it clearly. Yeah. I, like, a thing that's rolling around in my head, though, is spooking him, meaning revealing to him that you are not, in fact, an elk. Yeah. Yeah. How much by is, calling, by calling, by running at him, by potentially. And, and so it's like, I think that that one of the ways that prevents people from getting super aggressive or running after an elk or doing these different things is because you're not trying to reveal your hand. So is that obviously that's floating around in the back of your head too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like a last ditch effort. I always believe in my calling all the way to the, to the end. He's never going to spook away from the calling, but he'll spook away if he sees me. So you don't think that, like, if you're a passable caller, you think that, and even if he leaves and it takes off, you don't, you don't think that that elk, that that bull is like, I don't buy it. I think that's a person mm. because he's doing weird stuff. Maybe if you're hunting in, in, in an area where there's, he's had a lot of human contact where he's been messed with before, maybe spooked around, but sented some guy after he's been bugling. I always wonder, do they even know? Like I'm over here bugling and then let's say the wind changes and he sends me and takes off. Does he think that's oh, a dude that's over a there point. bugling or is that an elk? And then some guy snuck up here and I smelled a, a human. I mean, that's I don't really, I always wonder what he's got going on in his head. We were one time bear hunting and we hung uh, our food up in a tree and we came back and there was a pine squirrel eating a block of cheddar. <laughs> and then we ran after it screaming to get our cheddar back. And I always wondered if he thought this was just the weirdest day he'd ever experienced. Like one... <laughs> That you found a block of cheddar, and then two, <laughs> some dudes showed up, or if he put together like that was your cheddar that I found these guys' cheddar, and they showed up. Like when he recounts that to his friends, or maybe he thought, "Is he like a man when it rains, it storms?" Because then he thought you wanted to steal his cheddar. Oh yeah, he like you know, strangest thing. I found some cheddar, and then some people came and stole my cheddar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never thought that's a good point. The elk's like, no, there was an elk. He was bugling, but then some guy showed up. And I ran off. Right. Which yeah. I had, I like there's that. been times where they've winded me or us. And in a little while later, we kind of took back in with our bugling match, you know, back and forth. And I don't know if that elk was just super dumb and, and not used to smelling people. Or if he actually thought, well, that's that bull and, and that dude's probably gone now. I don't know. But most of the time when they smell you, it's, it's a game over. It's, it's over. But there's been a couple of times it's like. Why, why did this work this time? I mean. Yeah. If you spook an elk, how long do you wait? Like, let's say you knew you had an elk in a basin and he's kind of hanging around there and you go in and you bump him because you, you blow him out. And then all of a sudden the next day he's bugling back in there again. Are you like, man, I'm going to wait three days until he totally forgets? I'll, I'll give him a couple days. I'm going that next day. Public land, man. It's tough. I'm like, because you don't have it to yourself. Yeah. But I've done that, waited the two or three days and have some other guy walk in there and kill him. So. Maybe you should go in the next day. I, I got a question. Bugling. So, you know, there's all these areas, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, you can't bugle. Like, you will not, you can't call elk here, right? Growing up in Montana, Missouri, breaks is like, oh, lots of bulls in the breaks, big bulls, but you can't call elk. And then uh, going down and working in New Mexico, same deal. Like, oh, yeah, you just can't call these bulls in. You know, they're educated in Arizona too. It's like, oh, you can't call in big bulls. 
You mean because they're saying because they're educated? Just the way they, no, just my, the way they act. They're, my they're, impression oh. was always like, I cannot call in a bull, which oh, means got, nobody I, else can yeah, call got, in a I bull. I got what you're saying. Yeah. I got what you're saying. Those I thought those, you meant like they hear, because you'll hear that too, like they hear a call and they go the other direction. Yes, exactly. So, or these bulls know each other so well that any new bugle is just like an alarm. I don't buy it. Yeah, I'm. I've talked to some guy. You know, even the even the you know the the big outfitters and stuff. Oh, you can only cow call our bulls down here in Arizona and stuff. And I've talked to some new buddies. He's like, I would love to see you guys come down here and hunt your style. Like everybody tells you guys you can't, but he's like, you guys would come down here and run through this place and and have a good time. <laughs> so I, I just want I just want the challenge of you know going to. I went to New Mexico and the same thing. Every, oh, you can't call these bulls. They come to water. They go bed. That's their life. And we had. I mean, we called in. You know, two or three bulls every morning. You know, bulls every night. It was just incredible. I'm like, I don't believe any of that stuff. Um, I just, I don't. I think those guys just hunt different. Like it's a different, different mindset. Or people hear it and they get down there and get scared to do it. They would do up here, and I just want to go down there and rip at them. And it worked. Yeah, at I least got, in New Mexico where I hunted. I got a buddy that he was told, "Oh yeah, you can't bugle bulls in Arizona." And he's had two Arizona tags, and both times he's like, "We." Called bulls in all day long, every day. They were just, they come screaming in like nowhere else. I don't know what people are thinking. So. Part of the head game. No different than fishing. I I think, you know, calling elk in really open country though is is difficult. You know, it's more of a, you got to be, a lot of use a lot of strategy before. You can't just go, I can see elk 300 yards away and blow your bugle and they're probably not going to just come running to you. I mean. Because what? Because they want to see it. They want that visual. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to get in tight, use some terrain features, be like, you know, shadow the herd, use some terrain features to where you you get close, like they're just on the backside of a little ridge or a coulee or something. And then you do some calls and then wait for them to have to come up to investigate and then be positioned where you can make that shot. But you just can't bugle from 300 yards away. That's like uh, calling too much. You're standing at a burn, bull standing over there bugling at you and you're kind of pinned down. You don't, you can't just continue making calls. Because they're looking, they might not see you, but they're like, there's no elk over here. Yeah, they know exactly where you're at. I, I'm going to bugle a couple more times and see if there's any elk there. But then they're like, there's nothing there. And then they, they, then they kind of take off and then they make it, it makes them pretty tough to call at that point. Because then they're just suspicious. Yeah, they're just out. like, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. I like that, what you're saying about getting in their zone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what I always like about it, and, and this is the same thing with, turkeys or whatever is uh when it's far away it's like you don't really know what the response is but then when you get close to something and call to it you kind of quickly like find out this is a this is this a thing or not yeah you know what i mean it always feels good we were hunting in kentucky and we had an elk tag in kentucky and yeah we were sitting there eating lunch weren't we and Giannis ripped a bugle and i mean this bullet walked up because he couldn't have taken three steps but it was like we just happened to bugle right on top of him like up out of his bed. Oh, right, right, right. Come over to check us out because he's like, dude, that thing is right on top of me, man. You know, and he like had to deal with it. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. he had to like pay attention to it. Yep. And that, that's, I mean, at least our strategy hunting with Dirk, um, you know, we're just, we're trying to create that threat. Get 60, 70 yards. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're calling that bull in. You know, it's not as cool to call him in from a mile away. But um, part of our strategy is to get like in their lap and, and force them to come deal with us. Um, they're pretty territorial, you know, let's say they don't have cows. There's that transition phase of the rut where the bulls haven't left their little, little bull bedrooms throughout the drainage. They've got their little, their little home and you bugle from the top of the drainage. They won't answer. 
you get down in, you start dissecting that drainage, you go start hiking and through the bed, bedding areas of those things, you get within 100, 200 yards of them, you'll get a reply. And they're not happy that you're there. It's like, hey, man, this is my spot. And a lot of times um, they'll be, get pretty aggressive and come in after just a little bit of calling. But the consequence of hunting a bedding area. You screw it up, they're, they're yep. gone. So I think what everybody wants to know is what works 100% of the time. <laughs> Jason, you go first. Oh, no, he told us. I, I put this to him before, kind of. And uh, he, he described a situation in like a, he described a situation in which he would be surprised to not be able to move that bull in his direction. He didn't say it works 100% no, of the time. That was, that was more of your, like... Uh, a scenario. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't your mature herd bulls. It was a, a, a semi-mature satellite bull that's off by his own feeding by himself during the middle of the rut. Yeah. I would be 99% sure I could call that bull in. Yeah, I like that. If I can find him, <laughs> if I can find him <laughs> feeding on a pretty grass slope all by himself during the middle of the rut. And we can, let him pick. He could be above it, below it, what it was doing, who it was with, the whole situation. And he was saying, that he, yeah, he was saying, I can I, move that bull. If right. I could find that unicorn, I'll, I'll bet on myself. But <laughs> I was it's, kinda it laughing doesn't happen that way. When Dirk was like, well, you know, you're just not going to make like these big, clear, articulate sounds. And I was thinking to myself, well, that's not the bull I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm looking for like... Somebody's much less articulate. Yeah. Like, doesn't <laughs> quite know what's going on. <laughs> um, you guys sound like you bugle a lot more than you cow call. Because, mm -hmm. Dirk, you sound like every call you've made so far describing these scenarios is all bugling. Speak to that a little bit. So I want to I want to appeal to that bull's uh, instincts to fight rather than to breed. seems like, you know, and there's a hundred different ways to to skin a cat and there's probably guys that have cow called in twice as many elk and kill twice as many elk as me just with cow calls. But my experience with just cow calling in elk, a lot of times they'll come in very meticulous, very slow, very cautiously. They'll come in downwind. You know, they, Why is that? I think the number one, they're looking for a, maybe to see if, check to see if that cow is even in heat. They want to hear, they want to smell her. And then they want to see if there's another bull there. Maybe there's another bull just kind of laying low and he doesn't want to just come up there and then, hey, baby. And then- Get his to, ass kicked. Yeah, to get his yeah. ass kicked on the deal. So, um, and then maybe he's had, you know, because a lot of guys, that that's their jam. They want to they want to cow call all the time. Maybe he's had some bad encounters with cow calls to where he's like, eh, I remember one time I was up here and I seen a dude that was making that noise or something. So they come in a little more cautiously. Whereas- when you can appeal to their instinct to fight, they get they get mad, and, and sometimes you can get them worked up enough. They they forget about when they forget about all they want to do is come to you and kill you or run you off, yeah. and and you, you're more likely to do that by bugling. Now that being said, I will do some cow calls just to say, hey, there's something worth fighting for over here. You mm -hmm. know, if when he bugles, I might give him like some very interested like, hey. I like the sound of you, man. Show me an interested cow call. Come over here. So here's your basic cow calls. When that bull's bugling, I, I, I ramp it up, show some emotion like, oh, hey there, come over. Kind of put a little bit of yearning type of a twist oh, yeah, onto man, it. I yeah. can feel the yearning. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I almost went to over there. <laughs> but... Uh, but I won't overdo it. I'll, I'll give two or three of those and then I'll hit him with a bugle and every time, but I will, I'll wait. So, 
So then you're, they, yeah, then she's saying like, yeah, I'm over here with a bull, but I don't like him. I wish you'd come over here. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I, I let, I get the bull to bugle with the cow call. He'll bugle at the cow call. And then I say, with my bugle, I say, hey, don't, don't talk to my girls. She, you shut up. I like that too. <laughs> and then. It's like parenting. It, it's like, you're, you're like telling him, no. Well, he's thinking there must be a reason. He's he's wanting to fight for these girls, and also I think it just the whole you, you're putting the ball in their court. They're going to have to do something. So, and you kind of you just kind of let it escalate a bit. It's not like you go for third pay, third base, right right on prom night. <laughs> gets in the car, you don't French her, right? Exactly. You uh, you want to let that that temperature build little little by little, and and you'll know because you'll hear his voice, the other bull's voice, and you'll hear the anger and. Pretty soon he'll make a he'll make a bugle that there's no mistake he's he's pissed and he wants to fight and that's when you need to ramp it up. You feel like you can detect that in his bugle. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no. Does it doubt have about to it. be relative? Does it have to be relative to his other bugles, or can you hear a single bugle and be like, I feel that that bull is is pissed. Yeah. Or does it have to be like he's more pissed now than he was earlier? Yeah. There's a turning point. Yeah. He'll be giving you this normal bugles, and then all of a sudden. You'll hear the emotion in it, and you'll be like, "Whoa, he's coming! He's gonna come!" And shortly after that, you'll start hearing brush popping. But when he does that, he gives you that that bugle. I just hammer, take, I cut, I try to cut him off before he's done bugling. I hammer him with just the meanest. When nastiest. he gives you that, that's yeah, bugle, and I just yeah. give it right back to him. And a lot of times that that's when he's gonna start coming. And a lot of times after that, I'll just kind of, if I know he's coming, I'll shut up. That's when I clam up, be quiet. It's it's time to, time to come find me. So I'll just be quiet. But how? Okay. How about if you're just trying to kill any bull? That's any bull. But why is that bull? Why would some little shaver, if you're in there just like bellering and squalling and cutting them off and like, why would some little shaver ever dare come in to to forty yards? Well, there's there's some short dudes that walk around and think they're pretty tough. You know, they'll <laughs> oh go gosh. pick a fight with the biggest guy in the bar, right? I, so there, there's some little, some young bulls that think they're pretty tough. And, and, just... and curiosity. I mean, I, I've killed the world's like smallest rafter full of like baby raghorns. And, <laughs> and I use the same strategy. I mean, Is that I'm, right? Really? I'm okay. going to kill that herd bull, but all these satellite bulls are, are still with the herd. They're Coming just on the outskirts. So a lot of times they'll just come wandering in. They might give you some little half-hearted bugles. Um, but I'll still kill that, you know, small satellite bulls by, tr- by the same exact tactics that I thought I was supposed to use to kill the herd bull. Gotcha. Um, and then to reiterate on Dirks, why I don't think cow calls work as good. It, we're kind of reversing nature at that point. That bull's got his for sure thing. Like I've got 10 ladies. I'm good. He's got satellite bulls around him. Most likely uh, he doesn't want to leave those 10 for sure things to come get this one mystical lady out on the side until you add that bull in, you then just kind of turn you know, change the game at that point. Stuck so he, so he, when he bugles, he's like, well, this, this new lady should just come over and join us. We should be good. He's not going to necessarily leave, you know, and come 100, 120, 150 yards, leave all those cows with some of these other, pe- you know, satellite bulls that have been pestering him all day to come investigate. He, he you know, nature expects that cow to go to him. When you win that uh, elk calling championship, they ever give you a big belt buckle? <laughs> no. Dude, that'd be sweet, man. No. I'm caught kind of you lean on, you know? Yeah, yeah, it looks like a pie plate. Yeah, they don't give, they don't hand those out. They don't, they don't. You know, I think one year they did give those out, but of course I didn't win that year. You know, that was yeah. like the one cool thing they gave away. But Yanni, Yanni's being all modest. He's not like a six time world champion, but he's a good elk caller. He might not be an elk competition winner, but he's a, he's a good 
elk collar. That's all that matters. And the really. thing Yanni likes to do, I'm curious what you guys think about this. He gets in there, he takes his jacket off, puts his gloves on, and he sets to whooping on brush and rolling rocks and whatnot sometimes. Oh, yeah. You guys big into that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sticks are as important as, as the coals are. You, If you saw him from far off through a spot and scope, you'd think you were looking at... you. Like a certifiably insane person, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, running around in circles and figure eights and busting trees, throwing rocks and yeah, he gets ready, yeah. takes his hat off. Yeah, a, a, guy, a, guy, a guy was wondering how big of a branch or log should he use when he's thrashing brush. Giannis uses like he thought we're talking something you'd bring home and cut up for stove wood. Yeah, yeah, two, two and a like half. He'd have to split it before you burned it. Well, sometimes if I can get just the right one, that's probably like. I don't know, maybe six inches diameter in the middle when I'm holding it, and it's long. It's like eight to ten feet on both sides of me. I can be getting two pieces of brush at the same time <laughs> as I'm swinging. I remember once getting caught by a bull. I was sitting there doing that, holding this giant log. I look over, and there's a five-point standing there looking at me. I'm like, God, how come my guy's not shooting you right now? You know? <laughs> yeah, he. and this is anecdotal, uh, but he's in there doing all this and carrying on, and we had a bull kept bumping into us, bumping into me, and trying to get around me to get to Giannis. He's like, there's that damn guy again. Let me try another approach (laughs) (laughs) to go find out what's going on in there. He he was one of those. Find out what's going on in that hillside. (laughs) Young, curious bull, right? That just is like, man, there's something going on over there. And a person. Yeah. Yeah, I pick pick up the biggest branch I can find that's close and go at it. But how do you know when to do that? Uh, a lot of times I wait till a lot of times there'll be that stalemate I talk about. They'll get to 50 yards and don't want to come in, but they'll start raking their antlers on a tree of their oh, own. Oh, I got you. So I, I'll, I'll take into raking as well. And then usually what happens, they'll stop and they'll bugle. And when they stop and bugle, a lot of times I'll cut them off. And then we'll both go, both go back to raking. And this may take four or five sessions of this back and forth raking and them bugling and then I'll cut them off. But eventually, they get pretty worked up. You know, they're getting there. It's like, yeah, I'm getting, I feel pretty tough right now. They're, they're raking. And then you're making them mad. You're talking smack every time he opens his mouth. Pretty soon, they're coming. Yeah. Do you guys ever do any, like, pants or, like, moan in the, into the tube just, like, wear, with your they, voice? These guys don't wear pants out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll, do, we'll do all the sounds. I don't do any glunking, um, you know, any of that, but we'll do You moans. don't glunk? No, I. Yanni's a glunker. Is he? Has it worked? It's part of the repertoire, so it's hard to isolate. He's mixing up a whole cocktail, man. <laughs> no, we moan, growl, you know, do all of that. Oh, dude, show people some moaning and growling. I'll I'll do some uh, some glunks too. I don't know that it works. with the tube. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that it works. Hit him with a glunk first. Doesn't work, Jason. A glunk. Yeah. So I use I can do it. Get with up, my get up by your deal there, I Mike. Mean, it's, I just tap on. The, no, so I, he's just tapping. He's just got his bugle the, tube, and he's tapping same, the mouthpiece. You can do the same thing by making. Get suction. up close to your mic. You can do the same thing by making suction on the top of your mouth and basically sucking in at the same time. But it, in my opinion, I can't do it real well, um, so I don't glunk with my mouth. But um, you know, no, why people, do bulls glunk? Why don't you glunk? It's usually. I mean, at the time you can hear the glunk, you're within that sixty or eighty yard window, and I'm doing other things. I'm trying to get my my release. You know. Everything knocked up. Everything. Trying to find your yeah, release. Yeah, and then I can still make, I'm not having to like tap a tube, make a bunch of movement. So you're saying when you, you hear it, it's like hearing a turkey drum. Yeah, it's about ready to, yeah, it's, it's go like time. This, it's, yeah, it's yeah. game on. I got um, you. Are there time. guys in the World Calling Championships that are glunking with their mouth real well? Not real well. No. no. The, the kid in the youth division this year, 
it was the best. And it's to the point now where there's, I wouldn't say there's not a lot of skill, but I think even some of our judges don't even know what they're listening to. Oh. Um, and so it's it's pretty risky to go up there and use some of your time to because they're doing like celebrity judges. They're not doing yeah. like judge judges. They're doing no. celebrity yeah, judges. Yeah, it's it's all basically the majority of them were all like Utah outfitters and guides and stuff. The judges, yeah. Oh, so not celebrity judges, yeah, not celebrity, just behind the scenes guys. But yeah, yeah, I think it was pretty risky to do any of that. Well, it don't sound right. It sounds like you're beating on your tube. It doesn't sound like an actual glunk. Right. If you could re- actually reproduce it well, I would definitely do it. But I'm it's, not. It's tough. Good. It's tough to make a glunk. Okay, I mean, do some tough. screaming and moaning and whatnot. No, not screaming. Moaning and. So, I mean, just that, that subtle, I mean, as he's tending cows. Get up. Excuse me. <laughs> you know, as he's tending cows, as he's, as he's doing his thing, you know, he's just making those subtle, just you know, elky sounds. Yeah. What's going on when a bull makes uh like muse, cow call he kind of muse and stuff? I don't even know what he's got going. I mean, they do. They cow call all the time. I don't know what the heck that means or why he's doing it. You I've ever, never heard him do it in the rut, though. I, I had a bull one time. Every time, right before he'd bugle, he'd go, and then he'd just scream. I'm like, man, he's got a cow over there. And finally, he came out, and I seen him do it. I'm like, what's he doing? But you never throw that in the mix. No. Nah. Nah. I mean, it, yeah. I, At the worlds? Yeah, that'd be a risky business. <laughs> yeah. Like back a long time ago. No, I mean ago, hunting. Like it's, oh. just, it's just, it's so rare that you don't need to. Well, I'm mewing like cows. a cow anyway. Oh, so I got you. I got you. A little bit here and there. So. There's so much noise in some of those situations. Like there's so much going on. Like I'm not, yeah. I don't know. I guess if you can pick out the subtle noises, they can too. Would be a good, the, like the, the heavy breathing stuff. I'll I'll do that like when it's really getting pitched back and forth, but that's one thing where I'm like, this is risky. Yeah, I was like I just don't have the confidence. Yeah, and like, does this sound good to him? Yeah, just like breathing through that tube really heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always wondered. I mean, you can do that. But I'm like, I hope this sounds good on his end as I think it does because I don't I don't know. What I'm like it, it makes sense. Yeah. in the conversation. Yeah, but that's where I just like resort back to. I'll just beat on some brush. I'm I'm confident that that sounds right. Yeah, but the cow muse, I've mostly only heard them when it's like late season. They're are they're batched up again and they're sparring. They're doing that light little fun spar and they're sort of they're mewing against each other. That's when I've heard it mostly when her bees mewing. Um, which brings me to late season uh, calling. A lot of people ask like post rut, like should I even bring calls? Do you guys bring calls? I don't leave. I don't leave. House without a, at least a cow call. If it's November, December, like a, let's say it's a late archery hunt in December, definitely have a cow call because you want may want to stop a, stop an elk. Mm-hmm. But I think they're curious year round. Let's say there's some in a brush patch pretty close, and you just like want one to come out to investigate. You start making a lost calf, <clears throat> excuse me, a lost calf call. Shows what that sounds like. Make it like a lost calf cow or call or a <clears throat> or a cow call. They might come over and check it out. Especially spikes. Spikes are like, oh man, who's over there? Is that my mom? I mean that they're pretty curious. So I think if you can or make my it just good a, looking aunt. Yeah, my, my good looking aunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you want to pe- uh, appeal to their curiosity. So, do you guys? What, what do you guys think when people tell you um, it's September, right? Early September. It's all hot. And people are like, oh, it sucked. They're not fired up yet. Are you like, yeah, I agree. 
No, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> I'm I'm to prove you wrong here oh, really? in just a second. Yeah. So I, I, I think you can always, you know, if it's hot, um, you know, early morning, late night, but I think I feel like, and, and I haven't been proven wrong too many times, I can go in there and get something fired up eventually. Um, if there are elk there. Last year in Idaho, I had some guys tell me there were no elk there. I'm like, ha, huh, I'm better than you guys. I'm going to go up there and find, there were no elk there to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> they showed me. There were, um, but I, I feel like somewhere in that unit, it might not be in the basin I'm in or the basin next to it, but somewhere in that unit during September, uh, I should be able to get something going. Yeah. I always come back to the fact, I'm like, this is their only time of the year to do this. They have to figure they're it out. They're not yeah. going to waste. They're not going to be like, well, it's real hot. I don't really feel like mating for my one time of year that I get to mate. Yeah. Like something's going to happen. What about when there's no noise, right? You know there's elk there, but no one's making a peep. Do you go and look for new ones? Yeah, they, you know the old adage: "Don't leave elk to find elk." But a lot of times, that's the game I'm playing. If I can't call it in, I'm probably not going to be able to kill it where I hunt. Usually, it's good big timber, a lot of brush. You can't just sneak around and you know sneak up on one and shoot it. So if they won't talk, I'm moving. It's funny, and it'll be let's say September 20th. And you cannot buy a bugle for some reason. There's like, there's no, the elk will not call. They're here. I, I, there's, there's elk here in the calls. I'll leave. I'm like, I'm driving 25 miles to a different, complete different drainage system. And you go over there and they may be on fire over there. I've seen that before, just regionally. And you might've been in that very spot on just an off day. If you were there the day before, or they might've been on fire. And then there's that, you'll have an awesome day of bugling and the next day it'll be completely quiet. You'll see that kind of fluctuate through the whole, the whole rut. So a lot of times if it's not going on here, I hike out, jump in the truck, drive 25, 30 miles to a different spot and go hunt there. I think a lot of that has to do too, man, with, with one cow. You get that one cow that's in heat and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's, you yep. know, fi- fired up. She'll light the basin on and fire. Just at least in Colorado, I mean, obviously there's a whole bunch of elk there, so maybe it happens more often just because there are more elk. But plenty of times in third season, which is normally, you know, first week, maybe even to the second week in November, there's some raghorn open in morning that's bugling that you can hear his away, and he's not bugling for no reason. There's a, a cow that's in yeah. her, you know, second cycle or whatever. Yeah. I have a theory, and you guys, I want you guys to weigh in on it. So, and my uncle told me this when I was young, just getting into this whole thing. He likes to hunt on the end of like at least six or seven, eight, 10, 15 dry days in a row. He's convinced that when it rains and washes that cow scent away, that it kills the rut for a day or two because her scent is now washed away. Whereas those, you know, those, those semi-mature satellite bulls that are running ridge tops, running finger ridges, can pick her scent up after four or five days. You know, wherever, wherever she laid her scent down. Whereas that next day it rains, he's like, it's going to kill the rut for like two or three days. And I've kind of always, we've always had good success. Like if we can hunt through a dry section, but then as soon as you get that rain, I'm like, it may just be the weather slows them down. But I'm like, I wonder if, you know, that that kind of kills the rut. And so I love. You know, that September, if I can get a bunch of dry days, whether it's hot or not, I it seems to be better. Really? I never heard that. And I, I feel like that would fall under the thing of uh, that you just have a wide open schedule. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. You, and you live in your spot. Yeah. And that, you know I mean, what I mean? Because I would never be like, ah, I was going to go. But it rained. But it rained yesterday. Yeah. I just can't picture someone 
No, like actually acting upon yeah, that. No, there, and yeah. I'm in the same way. Same with moon phases. There's only so many Septembers, so I'm like, I'm hunting. I'm, I'm hunting the whole thing. <laughs> well, regardless yeah, and you of gotta that. have, yeah. but fresh snow. You don't have that many left. Now. Fresh snow in Montana and Idaho. Like, I have had a lot of screw it. I'm gonna go hunt and had the worst days of like falling elk tracks around in the snow. Nobody's playing. Nobody's talking. I think that absolutely shuts them down. Shit. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think of wet when you get like it happens every year. That wet ass September dump of like four inches of slush, it does take. It's just yeah. like it just Kills ends it. the party. And often I find that they just like up and move crazy places. They like pack up and move eight miles or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that I like confidence kills, right? Like whatever I'm going to do may not be the right thing, but I'm like really sending <laughs> it. Um, you run into the the cow that calls back aggressively, and I feel like she is like, no, no, we're not doing this again. And she's going to go in and, like, grab the bull and take off. Like, when you get, like, that challenge back from the cow, that's, like, when my heart sinks. And I'm like, ah, boy, I'm real out of I'm, – I'm not up to snuff on this one. Yep. Like, I just can't figure that one out. And that has killed me several times. So what? what is this? Do you guys have like the thing? Like if you hear it, you're like, well, chances are our chances just went from 60% to 8%. So, like separate from your situation, like what is our situation where you yeah. a bark? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a wolf, a wolf howl, a bark. No. Show people a bark. Uh, Ow! <laughs> That's a good bark. That man. is good. Ooh, that's really that's good. a really good bark. So, um, yeah, that's that's a great so bark. It kind of it kind of goes back to the. Why you know, do you know how to do that? Because they, it's one of the required sounds during the elk calling contest. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. You have to you have to polish yourself up. Do you ever screw, do you ever like mess other hunters up by getting annoyed with other hunter, hunters and barking before you leave? <laughs> yeah, just turn, oh, that'd be maybe good. a little bit. <laughs> 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 Might have done that once or twice. Yeah, I definitely but, bark at a cow that's barking at me. Yeah, and that's what I was going to get back. So it's like you can't fool their nose ever. Back to your guys' when an elk leaves, you can sometimes fool their eyes, but that's typically I think when you get barked at. They've seen or heard something that's a little bit off, but they haven't smelled you. They're going to bark at you and then I use we bark back at them it's not necessarily going to save the whole situation but it may give you just enough time to get a glimpse or to keep them around long enough before then they tear down the canyon barking at everything the rest of the way out have you ever had have you ever been working a bull and had a cow that's with the bull not off to the side but like a cow with the bull bark and then you killed the bull no I think they've always ran away I hate that sound I hate it yeah, they're usually, it's usually gone. Like, I haven't even had a cow that's barked where if she was a bull, I'd had enough time or the opportunity to, to shoot it. She's hung around, like, behind the tree that she saw me behind, um, you know, and then, or she'll maybe run up 100 yards and keep barking at me, but it's like I, I would have never even had an opportunity. Do, but, do that bark again, man. I like that bark a whole bunch. He's barking through his beagle tube. So a lot of times I'll do them like, that's like the dog. worst noise on the planet. Why, why are you enjoying it? I hate it more than a deer blowing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it what more a, than that. What about a wolf howling? Well, yeah, what's your, your feelings area? on that? Do you feel it shuts them down? It does. My area in Idaho, where it, which is more wolf infested than anywhere else, I elk hunt consistently. It, they they will rip one day in the basin, but if we hear if we hear them howling in there like that night when we're eating dinner, they, there will not be an elk either in there or they will, there will not be an elk that makes a sound in that basin the next morning. 
Yeah. Um, so we'll typically just like, oh, we heard him in there. We're going to go the other way. Hmm. I've um, had the opposite experience though, man. I've packed out several bulls with wolves howling in the basin. Yeah. Like, and they were making noise. Oh, and it's like, I think it's just like a safety and numbers thing. Like, yep, there's wolves here, but everybody's here. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> what are yeah. the chances it'll be me? You know? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've had guys say that the they've heard bulls bugle at the wolves. The wolves will howl and the bull will just scream at them. But my experience has not been that. It's, if there's wolves howl, howling, you'd think a spaceship come along and took the elk away. They'd disappear and be quiet. I'll, and I'll get up and I'll drive 25, 30 miles again to try to get completely out of their range because, you know – those things will cover a lot of ground in a day, 5, 10, 15 miles, you know, oh, a yeah. day the wolves will, will. So I just get the heck out of there and find somewhere else. I definitely use wolves against people. Yeah. Because no matter what you see or talk about, like, boy, the fear of wolves, yeah. either messing up a weekend or whatever, is so strong yeah. with people. All you got to do is a lot of wolves sign up there. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start Preach. using wolves against people too and just bring a wolf howler with me. Oh, like, there you go. First thing in the morning, let a wolf howl out of the bottom. Hopefully, everybody leaves and I'll have it all to myself. Yeah, just so go a start... mile up the trail and set an electronic collar. Yeah. So it calls. So <laughs> let's just keep trucking. Wolf yeah. Yeah. Every hour. I'll go past that so the elk didn't hear that and I should be good to go. I had that this spring with turkeys, man. We got right to where we needed to be at first light and we're just sitting there lit, trying to hear the first gobble, you know, in a big, nice big Montana meadow. We're at the upper end of it and right on top of us, like a, it's, you know, it always sounds like eight coyotes, probably just two or three, but just go nuts for like, I mean, I'm like, all right, it's been three minutes. Come on, guys, like shut yeah. it down already. You know, I'm thinking this is just over. We should just start hiking right now. But we wait, we let it quiet down and 30 seconds after they quit. You know, down at the, at that the was other a gobble. Yeah. That was a piss poor gobble. It was a very distant gobble. Do another one. Oh. Nah, yeah, couldn't you hear it out there in the distance? You ever hear Yanni's uh, way far off elk? Do it, Yanni. This is a elk super far away. looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, heads up all you anglers. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in Montana, based in Helena. After building custom fly rods for more than 25 years, Montana native and lifelong fly fisherman Scott Joyner decided to apply his knowledge in designing three performance-driven fly rod models. 
These rods were designed to be performance rods and to withstand the abuse that a fishing guide's equipment endures day in, day out. Their fly rods are named after Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks fishing access sites, which is such a cool idea. And each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Montana casting company fly rods have been developed to achieve the perfect balance of performance, durability, and legacy quality craftsmanship. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. <laughs> Love it. Some guy wanted us to have a contest. Who could Jason, make, who, he wanted who could to have a contest of who could make the best way far off elk sound? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got, I, could, uh, can I hit another question? Yeah, Or please. you got one? No. I think it's easy. One guy's asking, like, how do you set up when you guys are alone? You know, like, people are pretty familiar with the, it's easy to visualize the concept of, like, two guys, right? So one guy's calling, and he's trying to pull a bull past the shooter, right? Yep. So the bull, like, he's going he's gonna to approach cautiously. He's going to, you know, he might not want to get more than 70, whatever, 50 yards from that call. And so you got your shooter out there. And um, hopefully that bull will come up and hang up and cut some half circles, and he'll be right in the yep. zone of the shooter. But when you're by yourself, what do you guys what do you guys like to do? It depends on vegetation. Like if I can move a little bit, I'll make my first call just like it is a two caller setup, and I'll move in the direction I think that thing's going to try to circle where I made that first call from. So if I'm at 80 yards and I think I can get away with like 15 yards to my left, I'll make that call there, knowing that the wind's going right to left. He should circle into my new location off of my first call. Um, you can't always do that. To be honest, 99 percent of the bulls we call in come in. Straight on. Um, you're playing that wind directly perfect. And, what do you mean um, come straight on? They walk a straight line. Yeah, you're not going to maybe get a broadside shot. You're, they're just going to come directly at your location on a, on a one-man calling setup. Um, you know, your best bet is hope they hold up at 20 or 30 and you know do the pacing back and forth, show themselves. Um, but we don't really, I mean, with a cameraman or with our caller, like I want to be able to communicate with my caller. So our setups are really, whether there's two guys or one guy, um, they're really similar. And we talked about that threat earlier. If you send, you know, the, the Will Primos on the Hill Ranch scenario, I can't send my caller hundred yards back because that, that caller who is now the elk is no longer a threat. When I'm on back, you kind of lost me there. So if you send your, your, like on a two man calling setup, when you used to watch the old Primos truth videos, you know, they would send the guy hundred, 150 yards back to call. 
Well, if you're 100 yards away, the caller's 150 yards behind you. When I'm trying to call a public land bowling, it's really tough to, to get him to commit. Um, so we like to have that caller be the Oh, I mean, because they're just different. Cause yeah, it, they're, it, they're far enough out of a circle that he's not too worried about, you know, having to defend his cows or, or come yeah. investigate. So we usually like to have that caller right with the shooter anyways, and we can communicate that way. Um, so our single man setups are, are really similar. Um, you know, the caller just calls, and like I say, you can sometimes play that wind a little bit. You kind of know where your, your shooting lanes are going to be based on the wind, but um, we're still aggressive. I'm doing the same exact thing. That we talked about earlier. So I, <clears throat> I use a lot of trickery when I'm by myself uh, hunting solo. So as as the bull's approaching, um, he gets in that sixty to seventy yard range, and I I, th- I get that confirmation bugle where he's pissed and he's coming. I might give him just one more, but at that point, I'm just some, I'm going to do start doing some trickery where I I kind of throw my voice throw and and make my call quiet. So I'll do maybe a cow call and do my gloved hand. I'll have my glove on. And, oh, uh, yeah. and, and kind to make of make it feel like to, you moved to mute it, to mute it, or I'll, I'll kind of make cut my hands and force it to a different direction. Um, or I'll take my bugle tube and aim it completely opposite of me or off to the side a little bit, whichever direction I want him to go. Then I'll, then I'll cover the end of my tube with my hand a little bit and let a little air come out with, between my fingers and I'll make a really quiet bugle and it, it'll, it, it fools them. I've had bulls come running by me. And I'll have to stop them. I'll have to scream right in their face to get them to stop and turn back around because they're Cause going up the hill. Because he's convinced you moved. He thought he thinks I'm up the hill 100 yards at that point. Yeah. Hmm. So, and you can make a pretty decent. You just don't have to use as much air, and it kind of changes your air, your uh, your airflow and your back pressure dyma- dynamics in there. So you can make a pretty good bugle with that with your hand over there. <laughs> Does fall like far away, not as far away as Yanni's bull, right? <laughs> but far away. But a lot of times, if you can do that, it's just like, okay, he's not in this spot anymore. He's over here a little bit, and then they'll come walking by, and you can whack them. Be a new yeah. one for the national championships. You do a bull that's five miles away. <laughs> he's getting closer. <laughs> and now I want it a mile away. <laughs> yeah. Yanni, write what, that down. Write what, that down. Like why it. are you uh, why are you highlighting all kinds of stuff in our document? Oh, the ones that I feel like we've already uh, gotten over, so I can see what questions are left to. No, we, we didn't do this one. Hit. Which one do we not do? What's your feeling on? Uh, I think you kind of answered. Maybe you did answer this. People are like, "Oh, it's pre rut. It's peak rut. It's post rut." Are you changing your game, or are you just out there hunting? I'm just out there hunting. I'm pretty prescriptive. I do the same thing. Now, if it's it's really early, you know, late August, um, first of September, um, maybe a little more cow calling than typical, which is not still not very much. But um, you know, some of those bigger bulls are still roaming. You know, looking looking to gather up the herd, and so I might do a little bit more, um, you know, cow talking. And being a call company owner, this kind of sucks. But a lot of times, those patternable bulls in in that late August, it's sometimes just better to go kill them without making a sound. Oh, okay, but it's they it's really hard them. to say. Yeah. Really hard to say. I'd rather I'd rather call that bull and all fired up. But if you have a specific bull or have some elk pattern, like maybe not even make a peep and go go kill him. Really? Uh, but sometimes that's not gonna sell any calls. No, but sometimes they're, sometimes they're on fire. Or, you know, late August. So I mean, it's kind of match what what's going on in the area you're in. If they're if you go and hunt an area on August 25th and there's not a peep, then I'm probably not gonna just hammer on my bugle all day. But um, if they're going off, then I'm gonna I'm gonna join in. Yanni, is this a real question of a guy being kind of snarky about Phelps? About the bugle every four seconds? Yeah. 
Probably. He's probably some insider that knows these guys. Can I say, Can I read it how he said it? Sure. <laughs> Why do all the guys at Phelps feel the need to bugle every four seconds? Is that the voice he said it? You think but he I, feel, I feel like we... <laughs> <laughs> I really do feel like we hit it. It's funny. I'm glad you brought it up. But we hit it right off the top because Jason said. He's like... You can't. I can't overcall when I'm trying to locate elk, and usually that's by bugling. Well, that's why you highlighted that one. Yeah. Hey. There, if anybody's ever been in a real rut fest with elk, bulls will bugle every five seconds, l- literally, when they're on fire and and like chasing a hot cow or whatever. I mean, there'll be bulls bugle every five seconds. I've had bulls come from a quarter mile away, bugle almost every step, just just. Man, this is going to happen, you know. So yeah. I, I think you can't really over bugle at the right times. You can sure overdo it at other times at the wrong times. Just it's situational, and it kind of depends on on where you're at in your conversation with your elk. And, and we do. I mean that that question. I, you know, it, it's probably very directed. Um, you know, we've. I think all of us everywhere we've been. You know, we've, we're heavy on the bugles. Everything we we teach is heavy bugling. And I think people can get frustrated because we're out there. They think. You know, we're overcalling or telling people they should overcall. And then there's just right times. Like, we're not out there just bugling, you know, from the truck window or, or doing the stuff you're not supposed to. It's it's somewhat calculated. We're trying to bugle into new basins. But I, I just, I don't think you're educating them until they, you know, you either call them in and win them, um, you know, if, if they've been messed with. But at the point where you're just, if you sound enough like an elk, you're just basically saying, hey, I'm up here. You're wanting to get a response, hey, I'm down here. Or, you know, or, hey, I'm over here. Um, I don't, I, I don't. And it's hard. I mean, we're just speculating what's going on, but I don't think you can shut down a complete area just by overbugling if you sound like an elk. You know, from from maybe an outsider's perspective, let's say this guy's watching you from the other side of the basin or the other side of the drainage, and he's watching you walk up the hill, and you bugle every every two minutes. When you say a guy, minutes. you mean an elk or a guy? A, a, a person, a human, okay. gotcha. is watching you. And you're like walking over here and you're bugling. You're walking over here and you seem like, that guy needs to shut up. He, why is he bugling so much? But on your side, you're looking at terrain features, okay? You're up on a, on a ridge. You're bugling down into these canyons, right? Well, if I walk 100 yards this way, I've got a little different angle down into this draw where I'm bugling to. You know, I've had this before where I couldn't hardly hear a bull walk 100 yards and then, wow, I can hear him really well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's how crazy many times when you're hunting with two dudes where the guy who's five feet, 10 feet up the mountain above you is like, did you hear that? You know, and I'm down below him being like, hear what? Yeah. Oh, standing next to each other on the trail talking. <laughs> yep. yeah. yeah. All of a sudden there's like three guys, all of a sudden two of them frantically point in some direction. The third one's like, what? Yeah. Yep. I like he's it. like, you're like in the middle of a thaw or you're getting ready. You know what I mean? Whatever, man. You just, it's just different. Yeah. I liken it to fishing. I mean, you don't just go up to your fishing spot Throw one cast out and be like, yep, no fish in here. I mean, you you cast this way. Every little bit, you cover that entire little spot where you're standing in the river. Before you ever move, you go up, you know, however far to start casting again. It's the same with elk hunting. I mean, you got to probe every little spot. There might be a bull that can't hear you, or you can't hear him, and it's like, oh, there he is, finally. Or, or many times, you know, you locate, locate, locate. You might be 600 yards on the trail, and one answers, you know, right back to the spot you bugled three or four times ago. It's just, yeah. you don't know if they're eating, what they're doing, if they're paying attention or just didn't feel like answering you when you were that close. So what does, why do you, what does all the guys at Phelps mean? How many guys are there at Phelps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know your mom and your wife are there. Um, they call too much. I think it's more of our, our uh, end users. You know, the, 
Uh, I think we get lumped you're at, in. You're your uh, disciples. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of us, us, the born and raised crew, you know, Dirk, all of us that, that teach and hunt the way we do, and, you know, we, we bugle a lot. So I think they're, they're, lo- they're lumping uh, the crew and, and who uses our stuff and, and calls yeah. that way. Yeah, there's, there's different camps in the way to hunt, right? There's the guy that I never bugle, I just cow call. And there's the guys that say, I never make an elk call at all. I just shadow the herd and I wait for my opportunity. And then there's our camp that bugles all the time. So they're probably saying, yeah, those Phelps guys. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But you guys kill like a shitload of elk every year. We try. Like between you guys <laughs> yeah. and, the, and born and raised, like there's, I don't think there's a reason to be like yeah. snarky it, it, about why you guys call too much. It works. It works. I mean, I think it's just people maybe get a little bit disgusted, you know, somebody's in their area and then just people bugling all over it. And so I think it just kind of generated that that hate for bugling. Oh, you've heard that before. Oh, yeah. I mean, in Colorado last year, I mean, we were we were trying to chase the real bull while trying to avoid like the three other fake bugles that were chasing us. And we were trying to stay between them and the bull that we got going. It was just, I mean, there are a lot of guys out there bugling in, in some of these areas. And so I can see why. It's like, hey, everybody just put your tubes away, but. Yeah. This one time in Idaho, I was hunting with Corey Jacobson and Donnie Drake, and we got back to the pickup, and there was a note on the pickup that said, if you guys were hunting up the basin this morning, you bugle way, in in capital letters, way too much. (laughs) We bugle the normal amount. You'd go up the basin, you'd cover around, you make a big loop, and, you know, you're probing, you're listening for elk, and, I mean, we didn't bugle excessively in our mind, but. That guy was probably like, listen to those idiots down there. <laughs> we didn't That's hear hilarious, him. man. Divisive. Yeah. You guys build a new uh you build a new facility. Yeah. Yeah. A new shop, new warehouse, office space, finally. Um, make us way more efficient. Still got a day job? Yeah, part time. Part time. Training my replacement. But um, it's about You're a, training to replace. Yeah, it's about a two-year process. So we, what we do is not normal. Like you know that much stuff. Well, yeah. Well, it's just it's not normal and it's cyclical. So you're always doing something uh, as a granting. You know, you write grants and, and review grants. So it's like, well, on this day you don't do the same thing you do like next week. I got so you. it takes about two years to go through and, and and figure it out. So hopefully, when that's all done, we'll we'll look at reducing the time there. I love seeing it though, man. Like someone it's, like built, you know, it's like awesome. making a cool little business awesome. and. Now I'm just throwing it up. I just throw everybody to Dirk now. Like, hey, he'll take care of you while I'm busy. Yeah. No, he does. Um, what else we got, Yanni? I'm getting into Yanni's brain a little bit here by looking at how he highlights stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that one I in my mind, one highlights things that are meant to that you're supposed Stand to pay out. attention to. Yanni highlights things that you're supposed to ignore. So if Yanni left you a note. And highlighted parts of it, you'd think that he was highlighting the parts it's that were just important. A result as a, but as he's a highlighting, way. he's actually <laughs> highlighting the parts that, that are least important. Giannis, just switch to a black highlighter real quick. It'll, <laughs> yeah. it'll fix it. <laughs> a, scra- a scratch out. You might, you might want to find a strikeout feature. Yeah, that's pretty, that's like, yeah. You just figured it out. <laughs> so <laughs> my highlight means that we're done with it. Good work. Uh, so the fact that it's not highlighted, Makes me feel that Yanni wants to talk about. This is good. Hit him with number 23, Yanni. Number 23. Oh, would you rather call a bull uphill or downhill? Downhill. Side hill. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an option. 
I think it's a trick question because for me, it's it doesn't matter. It's like, well, whatever the wind's doing, that's going to yeah. I mean, let's let's just that. assume that the wind's good in both those situations. I think, in my opinion, Colin Bulls downhill. They've got gravity on their side. You know, two bulls that think they're going to posture up. That bull coming from uphill towards downhill has got the advantage at that point. Um, so I think. He'll come more easily down. Yeah, because he's got an advantage with gravity on his side. Yeah, um, if I was on a steep in. pitch and I was supposed to fight Yanni, <laughs> you'd want to be. I would him. be like, I'll take the uphill side. See, exactly. Oh yeah, and that's a good point. Yeah. Now, why do you like side hilling? Um, <clears throat> okay, so you have your thermals that go up and down. Okay. Right? So let's say here it is two o'clock in the afternoon. You got this bull going. You get on the side hill from him. Okay, it's easy for him to come straight ac- straight across to you, which they they prefer. Most and, and elk trails do come across the hill. That's a good point. Right. So it's very easy. You make it easy for him to come to you. Then also you're 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 strategizing with the wind. So it's middle of the day. Got a warm hillside. You got thermals going up. Then all of a sudden, a big cloud comes over. Where what's the thermals do? They go back downhill. Sometimes they swirl a little bit, but hardly do they ever go straight sideways. Yeah. So you're kind of stacking that wind in your favor um, to where, you know, if the wind does change that, or if your side hill, let's say that bull drops, you can drop really quickly to try to get on his same level again. And so he don't get your wind or you can climb and not as far uh, to try, if he, if he's trying to go above you and get I'm your here, wind, I'm feeling so. you. Yeah. You know, it's funny you talk about like how trails, uh, you guys ever spend much time in wild pig country? Mm-mm, no. Because uh, you get used to how trails are on hills, always angles. Like they're either side hill or they cut those like switchback angles. You know, all your trails you hit are like that. And wild pig country, I see trails just going smack up hills. Oh, wow. Straight like up. trails like running straight up a hill. And you don't even think about it. Then you look at it, it's like, that's the weirdest looking trail. Because hmm. you realize how many trails are like shallow, you know, shallow crisscrossy kind of networks. Okay, huh. mm-hmm. so there's that one. Hit them with another one, Yanni. I like 27. I do too, but they already answered it. We can ask it again, though. No. They've answered it in a roundabout way. Is blind cow calling while creeping through the woods a good tactic? What I'll do, rather than creep through the woods, let's say I haven't heard any bulls, and I'm just covering country. I'm going from point A to point B, and I don't want to be quiet I'm because I got to get there. So as I'm walking along, stomping on brush and kicking rocks and stuff, I'll just... Just throw out a couple cow calls every little bit. Yanni likes to do that. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, even just walking through the woods, popping brush without a cow call, you'll get a bull that's close by. He'll fire up and be like, hey, you're an elk. Yeah. I know it is. Yeah. It's got to be. <laughs> yeah, you located my bull last year in Colorado when we were just walking through mm-hmm. cow calling. Was it cow call or bugle? I think you cow called there just one time and he answered. Here's a good one. I like this one. What about a guy that's, uh, let's say... Uh, you were hunting a cow tag. What do you bring out in the woods for calls? Exact Dude. same. Spike or cows, I'm still going to locate that herd bull or get a bull to answer because the cows are going to be around him. Is that right? Yeah. So at least start the game the same. You're still going to move in, get the win right. So you're out with a cow tag and you're bringing your bugle. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, because you, you, the, the game's still 95% the same, right, until the end of you know, how are you going to kill that cow? And then I would probably keep that bull bugle and then just more spot and stock at that point. Just try to squeeze in close enough to the herd to get a shot. No kidding. Versus calling that bull in. That's interesting. Same with spike hunters. You know, I get a lot uh, hey, we can only hunt spikes in eastern Washington this year. What should I do? I'm like, buy, pretend like you're hunting the herd bull right till the end and then cow call him in. But then don't shoot him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many times I've had spikes come running just like 
Oh man, there's somebody else over. Hey man, and then too late. So seriously, Swap. like you go out like on hunting a cow tag or whatever, you'd go out and you're bugling to find elk. Oh yeah, I mean, I would still glass first thing. Like if yeah. I didn't have to make a sound, it would be ideal. But um, say they're all you know going the timber and the brush, you can't spot them anymore. I would just go back to locate and just like hunting big bulls. Hmm. It's gonna that's gonna piss a lot of people off because they're gonna have all the cow hunters out there bugling. No. But you know, it's just <laughs> that's interesting, man. That's interesting. Yeah. Or I mean, you don't necessarily have to be a bugle. You can, you know, you can chase the real bugles that you hear without locating them. But I, I just feel like you can force your hand, and, you know, force them to make sound a little bit better if you had a location bugle with you. Yeah, I'm liking that number thirty. That's boring. Different. <laughs> well, you well, just make it. Make it. You pick. You pick whatever one you want. My, my, no, my answer. answer will be. My answer will be boring. But it's a good question. Are there different tactics I don't know what 30 for is. calling Roosevelt elk versus oh, Rocky Mountain? You got a copy? Elk. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's not highlighted though. <laughs> Our guests are prepared. <laughs> I don't think you should give them a copy of the questions. <laughs> Dude, well, how are we gonna get a gotcha moment? <laughs> you got plenty of those. <laughs> so the, the difference between Roosevelt and Rocky, I I, I was fortunate enough, um, grew up in the Wolf Hills. He gave you a copy of the questions. He wanted us to be prepared. We had to we had to Google all these. <laughs> <laughs> well, the do you find your aunt attractive question wasn't on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. That can be a bit of a gotcha. <laughs> so growing up, uh, you know, an hour from the coast of Washington, grew up, all I knew was Roosevelt elk hunting. Um, fortunate enough in the last 10 years to get to hunt Rockies. They sound exactly the same. We call them exactly the same. The one main difference I feel in the areas I've hunted is that the Rockies aren't really tied down to a necessarily a core area mm-hmm. um, where like Roosevelt's, they will live their entire life in a one mile, one and a half mile circle um, is, is the main difference. Is that right? Um, Interesting. For the yeah. most part. So like you, you like a white tail. I hear that about, I hear that about uh, black tails in the rainforest too. People talk about, he'll have a zone, man. And that's where he lives. Yep. The same with our elk. We grew up as a rifle muzzleloader hunter. Like you spook the elk, like you might as well just the way they went, turn around and walk the circle backwards. And they run, they're, they're trying to get back to where, you know, you spooked them and, and get back to their core piece of timber. And um, where Rockies, it's like you bump them and next time you see them, they're like five miles away running the next ridge still. They're just going to go find a new place to live. Yeah. You know, or whatever. But that, that that's the main difference. Like calling is the same. You know, our, our Roosevelt's chuckle more, I think. Um, sometimes, you know, I would say half the bulls don't even get a high note bugle. They just they chuckle, um, which is a, a little bit of a difference. But, you know, other than that, they all sound the same. Yeah. I've never hunted Roosevelt's, so can't really comment on that. What are the main states you like to hunt? Um... Love Wyoming. Uh, I've hunted Montana once. I'd like to hunt Arizona someday, but Idaho is basically my go-to because I live there, you know, hunt close to home. And yeah. it's probably the worst elk hunting in Idaho right there close, but um, it's close. And I know yeah. the area and, and it's easier to get away, you know. Speaking of getting away, guy wanted to know, what's the best way to ask my wife to extend a hunting trip without getting in trouble? All, all that is... Um, is preparation before hunting season ever gets there. That's all the lead up. So you pay your dues all winter, all summer. You're married? Your, yeah. Okay, With good, your good, wife. Good. You, you you do all those things with your wife, you know, let her know like, hey, I, I really'd like to take an, an extended vacation this year, elk hunting. And then- So you start you start laying the groundwork when? As soon as you know you're going to go hunting. Say, I'm going to do, this is my plan this year. And then, but that, you know, I'm going to make sure you get, you're into the deal good too. You got so, kids? Yeah. How many? Yeah, two. How old? Two. 21 and 23. Nice work. Yeah. They're out of your hair? Yeah, they're out of the hair. One of them's making his own money, and my daughter, she's still in, in uh, college, so 
pretty soon. Maybe we'll get him off the payroll. So and now you, uh, you're you come only, in. And now you're only 45. <laughs> yeah. And you're hunting but the, that's you know, what I'm talking about, the, man. You got all that over with. Right. I'm the, 45 and I got the whole deal ahead of me. But the bad part is being 45 and being an empty nester is now who are my friend options? Like, hey, let's go hang out. Well, I can't. Uh, all my people my age, they got little kids. So, oh, yeah. well, we got baseball. We got this or that. Well, now it's like old retirees, you know, like 60-year-olds. Like, hey, you want to go? Well, I don't know. I don't think I could well, do that. I suppose well, I no, could. you got guys like Seth, I suppose the 28-year-old. Yeah, true, true. They're interested in that. Yeah, I'll come stuff, home though. with you. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, okay, so I want to get back. I just want, I, I needed to get a better snapshot of what, because if you're like divorced three times, right? Yeah. Then I'm not going to pay attention to what you had. I just had to get, there. I had to find out what, what we're talking, what, what we're working with here. So you're saying that you're real up front. Yeah. You're like, come September, whatever, here's what's going to happen, but I'm going to, I'm going to really throw down hard on husbanding. Yeah. Yeah. And say, honey, I'm going to do anything you want to do the rest of the year. But please let me have my time in September or whatever month you're hunting. Let me have my time then. So we'll be an example. Oh, go ahead. No, I was no. just going to say, you don't even have to request like an extra couple of days. You just call and check it in and saying, hey, I'm going to be home Friday instead of Wednesday. Right. What's the thing you did um, to earn hunting time? Uh, what's the thing you did that was you feel was most out of character for you? Oh, um, uh, I don't know. Go to the big city, you know, uh-huh. go, go take a trip to Seattle, Washington or something and, and hang out and walk and walk up and down the, the wharf there and check things out. That's not my cup of tea at all. But I, you're cool about it. Yeah. I, you're I'm like, man, I'm, this is the best time uh, I've ever had. I might complain a little bit when in the traffic. <laughs> if you've ever driven in Seattle, well, you know, oh, yeah. it's just horrible. But, um, yeah, but I, yeah, I pay those dues because- I want to make sure that, and and it's the great thing about my wife is she she understands men need their time. Men need their time to kind of get away from things, the pressures of life, and kind of decompress, find themselves a little bit in the woods, and then because she knows when I come back, I'm better. I'm, I'm usually better. I you know I'm a better person. I I've kind of left some things behind. Yeah. Um, I feel like okay now I can focus on other things other than just got all this stuff about hunting in my head. I think that it's helpful. There's a game you play, like if you got the break to your spouse that you're going uh, to do something that's going to leave them, you know, that's going to leave them in a troubled spot. Yeah. Meaning, like for us in my marriage, it's not about that you're gone. It's not that, that you're absent and I miss you. It's that there's a lot that has to happen because we're raising young kids. Right. So, you know, I, I, if, I, if I didn't have to worry about that, it, it wouldn't really matter at all. Right. Like we, we're kind of. You know, we have our lives and we're cool with each other. And, you know, it's like I, if if I don't see my wife for a while, it's right. I don't need right. to like worry what she's up to. Right? right. There's a lot of trust and faith. But to leave, you're sort of saying like, I'm taking off. We won't see each other. That's cool. But I realize that while I'm gone, you're dealing with a lot, you know. Yeah. A lot of responsibility. Yeah. It's like a lot. Taking care yeah. of little kids is hard. Yep. But uh, so you wind up battling in your head between this thing of, downplaying how long you'll be gone or overplaying how long you'll be gone. So you're sort of like, you want to leave and everything's cool, right? Right. It's like, oh yeah, probably just two, three days. Because then they're like, oh, that's not so bad, right? If And then you feel that then if you want to stay longer, you're like, Dah. 
I wish I would have been more truthful. But had I been more truthful, then I might not have left with the good blessing. Right. It's like a, you're, gamb- you're gambling either way. Because you could come and be like, I'm gone 10 days. And then everybody, they're annoyed. And you come back earlier and it's cool. But it's, you're, you're up in the chance that you're going to leave and they're already annoyed. Yeah. It's kind of a tough one. A lot of times, like when the kids were little, um, we would take the whole fam damn to, to elk camp. And mama and the kids would hang out camp and get in the dirt and dig and build spears and do whatever else kids do it at uh, little kid age. And I'd go hunting and I'd come back. Sometimes, you head out in the morning, come back in the afternoon. Yeah, sometimes come back around lunch and go and then go back for an evening hunt. Or sometimes it'd be gone all day, depending on where the, the spot I was going to hunt. Um, but that made a big difference too, because that that engages them. That gives them something fun to do. The, the kids love being being there. They understand what dad's doing. Um, and then um, as the teenagers got, as they got teenagers, you know, then they have, other responsibilities, you know, they're, they're playing sports and stuff like that. And it's tough for them to get away to go hunting with dad. Um, so. Yeah. That's why I don't think that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I always yeah. said we should have had our kids be bookworms, you know, and just like. Hell yeah, man. Heck with sports, you know, dirt bikes and, and four wheelers and, and stuff with no and schedules. hunting and just where you can just go and yeah. enjoy the outdoors. That's, that's the way to do it. That's definitely the way to do it. Hit them another one, Yanni. They're supposed to have a far-off uh, bugle comp. Someone actually asked for this. Yeah. They wanted Giannis, Dirk, and Jason to do a no-call, whistling-only, who can do the best way far-off elk. Oh, I got this. Oh, you you, you do this too? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, like when I tell a story, you know. Okay. I've only happened, I've told this story once before. It's only worked once for me, but we were walking along an irrigation. <laughs> oh, I thought you actually did this as a hunter. Walking trip. along as an irrigation oh, ditch. Oh, told me this. Along an irrigation ditch, and George Brown, I believe his name was, he's like, you ever heard of guys whistling for to bugle at bulls? It's like, no, never have. He's like, give it a shot, you know? So just, <laughs> we kind of stood there, and all of a sudden, I just hear hooves <laughs> coming, and we kind of look around the corner, and, and come, coming up the hill, I mean, there's calves and cows, and I can see what? a branch antler bull coming, and... They they literally ran by us and just and, and went on up the timber. And we had a and it was late in the morning, so we we're like, all right, we'll come back and we got we know where there's elk for the evening hunt. But uh, I don't think I've ever gotten a response since. <laughs> and it, it was just coincidence. I've know. never got a response. Get hit one. That's a whole different pr- approach. Do it again. Let's get my. Yeah, my whistle ain't working. That doesn't have that <laughs> that lonesome distant sound. It's got yeah. the reverb though. Yeah, Jay Phelps. Wow, that was pretty. That was like, that's, <laughs> that's straight off. I still think Yanni's the champ, man. Gal. No. It, was re- it was really, it was really windy. Where that sounded like a windstorm. That's <laughs> <laughs> way off in a windstorm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't whistle. I Apparently, can con- I can't either. <laughs> right. Seth's going. Uh, yeah. Some kind of weird bird, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could whistle, man. I can't whistle. So Had funny. a wooden whistle, but a wooden whistle. That was the thing my dad used to say. Uh, All right, well, one last fun one. If you could only hunt with one September 15th, would you bring your binos or bring your calls? Calls. Calls. Where's that question? Steve? 
Binos or calls? Did you say a date? Yeah, September 15th. Well, he doesn't say a date. Why are you corrupting the, the, the person's <laughs> question? Is it crowdsourced or not? <laughs> it is. I'm just making it better. Okay. I'm hunting on September 15th, and I can have my binos or my calls. Yeah. I'd have my calls because I'm presumably bow hunting. Yep. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be fine. In- oh, yeah. I can locate elk just fine with my with my eyeballs. And if it was November 1st, everybody would choose binoculars. Yes. November 1st? I'm switching. So there is a time of year when you'd go out with your binos and not your calls. Yeah. That's a true call salesman. You could be doing some reverse psychology right now. Like that and earlier saying that in August, late August, you might not use a call at all. Because then people are going to be like, I trust this person. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to buy his calls because he's not slimy. And yeah, might actually wind up selling. I think more we, should, calls. we should back that up. He he's a pretty trustworthy fella. Oh, I think it's yeah. I think it's obvious. He yeah. we, we, he wouldn't be in here hanging out if he was slimy. I think from this conversation, you just call Vortex. You get a collab going, and you integrate a call into the binos. <laughs> a Beagle Two Bino, where you blow into the eyepiece and it <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't fog up. <laughs> okay, what else we got, Yanni? Anything? Any I'm last out, ones? I'm out of questions. Anybody else? Seth, Cal. You got anything you want to add or ask? Mm, no. No. No, I, I mean, I like like all this stuff. Two, two questions for you. Someone wants to know if you have any plans for a fawn in distress call for blacktails. We've got one. Cal, last time we talked about this on the podcast, I think I sold all of them we had. Um, no, we've we've got a fawn in distress call already that really I, – I go out and play with the does and fawns in my yard right now, and it's, it's the coolest thing ever. I have – uh, a bit of a hoarding problem with these calls because I do find I I blow them out. Um, they're awesome though. They're no, the best. I love them. And we can, I mean that's the one thing to get that fawn distress just perfect. It's a pretty light read, but we can we also offer replacement reads too. So you, in a tool just to there pop them go. in and out. Yeah. When are you using those, Cal? Like well, in a, what hunting situation? I started messing around with them a lot um, with uh, mule deer and like during rifle season, and I had started. And then, uh, like, there is no better tool for black bear hunting. I absolutely love them for black bear because it solves some issues. I find that immature bears, it, very similar to, like, when you're calling elk, one of the scenarios that you guys described, but when you're kind of ringing a dinner bell with highly competitive predators, only the big ones are going to come into that fawn call. Yeah. And typically... From what I've seen, totally anecdotal. Typically, from what I've seen, they're boars. One time, I was uh, I had a fawn distress call, and I was in Southeast Alaska, and I was creeping up on a bear, and I got where he was down in a channel. It's a big grass flat, like an estuary, and he's down in a channel, and I couldn't see him. And I was like, "Oh, I'll pull the call, and he'll obviously come running up out of there." And I start blowing the call, and out of the woods, across the grass flat, out of the woods comes a blacktail doe. Pissed. <laughs> Runs right through where I thought the bear was, crosses the channel, pops up on my side right in my face, stomps all around, gets all mad, goes back the way she came from, and I'm like, oh, so something obviously happened. The bear's gone or whatever. He would, she wouldn't have come through there. And I walk over and look down, and that bear is still sitting there eating grass. So not only was he not interested in the call, 
He was not interested in the pissed off doe that basically ran him over and never broke stride. Yeah. The, it, it's like, the, it's so hard to tell. And then it, uh, the thing that makes this thing so funny is the same trip we had one trying to climb in the boat with us. <laughs> where we pulled up and I just like beached the boat, didn't even get out of the boat and blew a call. And you can't shoot from a boat there. Blew a call. And I'm up in the front of the boat. My buddy's in the back, so it's real deep, you know? And uh, I start, we were like watching this bear and we kind of lost track of him. So he nosed the boat up into the gravel and I'm just standing on the front seat and I start calling. And this bear is like, Gonna get in, like he looked like he was gonna get in the boat. And I'm telling my buddy, get out of the boat and shoot. But it's real deep where we pulled up. <laughs> I remember, like, who cares? He didn't want to jump out because he'd got so wet if he jumped out of the boat. You know? <laughs> but it's like the different moods they're in, and you know what I mean? Yes. Like what they got going on. It's so funny, like the different attitudes. Because that fun and distress call, too, like I've hit it at times and seen every form of life run out of the canyon <laughs> as fast as Spooked possible. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. killing stuff in here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody out. Yeah. It's like that scene in uh was that Ballad of Buster Scruggs? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, yeah. when the uh when the miner, when Tom Waits rolls into the base oh, yeah. and all the critters oh. peace out. <laughs> yeah. That's great. All right, any closers? What's new? Oh. What's uh anything on the horizon? No, we're gonna we're gonna work on the deer call line, predator call line. We got a few new things um, on the elk call line, but um, yeah, just just going down that road, trying to kind of fill in the rest. You know, we've been been pretty busy on the turkey and the elk call side, and then just trying to kind of wrap up the whole line from start to finish. So we're just gonna put some pressure on, test a bunch of new products this fall, and then um, hopefully have some releases next year. You know what calls you think you ought, another call? I think you ought to do. I think you should devote some time to. Uh, Making blue grouse calls. How about then, no, 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 not not a rough grouse drumming, but blue grouse for spring blue grouse hunting in Alaska. And then you can make the female call. This is a whole thing. Listen, really? this is like Dirk, I, what I'm telling you right Dirk, now. Dirk, write this down. Write that down in your notebook. What I'm telling you right now would be like if let's let's imagine that it's 1978. And I said, you know what someone ought to do is find a way to make a elk bugle noise. I'm giving you that right now. All right, all right. We're gonna. I'm we'll, giving you that right now. We're gonna work. I'm on telling it. you something that's gonna like really. Put it in your time capsule. We'll open it in thirty, right. no, forty years. We'll see and you'll be like, man, I can't believe I didn't do it because it turned into this huge thing, and I had it laying right. I had it laid right in my lap. Don't ignore that seek a deer market in Maryland either. Yeah, those ten thousand guys. So I that might be something because those guys all run around with Europe. Oh shit! No, no, I'm just kidding. Euro calls. They run around with European made calls. Yeah, can't have that. God bless America. Yeah, yeah. Don Rumsfeld's the old Europe. Dirk can make us. <laughs> I, I can do a seeker. We, we've we've seek been a stag call. around a little. Oh, let's, oh hear let's hear it. So you guys are all over this. No, that look, look that up. YouTube. Sounds just like it. <laughs> no, because we're pros, man. <laughs> We've heard them. You've heard them. Oh, many, many, many times. And one thing you it screwed up. It doesn't sound like that? No. Way too well, elaborate. It In Maryland. Yeah. They go three packs, not nearly that long. So I got a guy hunting in New Zealand we know. Oh, that might be a whole different ballgame. And ball game. That, his sounds just like that. No, they're but, like three little shorts. Oh, really? Toilet water spins the opposite way down there, too. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, 
You're not. You're. You're, you're probably not going to get get into the blue the blue grouse, not uh, the bluegrass, the bluegrouse market. Um, well, is ducks uh, like you interested we'll in ducks? That. We have duck calls. I'm not a uh, diehard duck guy. Um, so I reached out to some guys in Oregon, uh, Eric Strand. So Eric Strand's kind of in charge of our duck call, um, waterfowl, goose call line. So I'm. I've kind of. So you like to stay in your lane. Personally. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to try to pretend like I know what I'm doing on that side. Um, you gotcha. know, I'll go shoot them if they call them in for me, but I, I don't do that. Um, but we, we are. We're filling in that side. So cool. Real cool. Eric so, you, so you need to be. You want to be like a full one stop shop. Yeah, I just want to fill all the lines in and, and get the right people. Like I say, I'm a turkey, elk, a little bit of predator guy. You know, I can, I'm comfortable in that sector. But um, in order to bring some of these other things in, I'm just going to go find the best people that I can. So he's really good, really accomplished waterfowl caller and, and knows how to build them and tunes them. He tunes all of our waterfowl calls right now. So Gotcha. Dirk, got any concluders? You know what a concluder is? Final thoughts. Oh, that's exactly right. Um, I think people give up on uh, trying to learn how to call elk too quick. Um, they might, uh, their buddy says, hey, go get X call and, and try it. It works awesome. And they try it. And it they suck. They can't do it. So they're like, nah, it ain't for me. You hear this a lot. You go to trade shows like, nah, I, I can't do these calls. And you, you hand one to a guy and, and kind of coach them a little bit. And pretty soon they're making noises. I'm like, wow, I, I think I might be able to do this after all. So um, people just give up pretty quick on calling elk. And I mean, the best part about calling elk is it's super fun. I mean, you know, it's an it's a it's a means to an end. I mean, you're trying to take a take a beautiful elk home with you and have some delicious food but um it sure is fun too it's it's like the the best time you can have them. there might I mean, not be any more fun to be had in the hunting universe no absolutely you kind of stole my concluder i'm going to keep it i'm going to reuse it well how long have you been practicing dirt uh i've been doing this 30 years i've been calling elk for 30 years um and when did you stop improving I get better every year. I, I pick up little things that like, wow, that elk did this. And like, I try to do it, you know, I'm big on, you know, trying to mimic the elk a bit because I want to sound like an elk. I don't want to just sound like me. So I'll try to pick up little things from elk all the time. Um, I feel like we kind of make the same old rookie mistakes every year, just like everybody, but, but, uh, but you, you, you learn a lot every year. So, um, yeah, but I think, you know, people just give up on it too quick. Like, you know, put some effort into it. It doesn't take an hour a day of, of practicing. If you practice five minutes a day, three times a week, you're starting to, you'll start building that muscle memory of what to do with that call when you get it in your mouth. And you start in January, by September, you're going to be able to make some pretty darn good elk noises, especially with what the world we live in. I mean, we have YouTube and the internet, and there's all this information on how to use calls we didn't have that when I was a kid. I mean, I had Larry D. Jones videos to watch and and try my best to make an, an elk noise. When I first started elk hunting, I hadn't even heard a real elk bugle before, before September 1st, you know, 1989. And that was the first time I heard an elk bugle. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure that. I sound different, but I'm going to try to figure it out. And by the end of that season, I sounded pretty good, you know, all things considered. I caught on pr pretty good, but people just need to, to – to practice, not give up, and have faith in their calls. What do you got, Seth? Is it about trip problem beavers? Yeah, exactly. Um, send us your problem beaver spots. Send us an email. No. We'll gate, take, we'll gate take care closing of Gate-closing We'll bring you some cooked beaver meat. No road messing. No yep. road messing. Yep. We're the real deal. Yep. 
fostering will bring little kids out, cute little kids out. Yep, introducing kids to the wild. You guys got to come up with a, a name oh. for your operation. Oh, man, man, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I haven't thought of that either. Flip-flop flasher. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Do you got any other concluders, Seth? Um, I'm pretty stoked for elk season now after all that. This got you fired up. Oh, yeah. Especially you got, elk, you got elk on first. your hat. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, hearing that first bugle from, from Jason. Gives you tingles. Yeah. What you got, Cal? That, that's it. You fired like, up. I like the elk, elk noises. Make me start thinking about what the hell am I doing in this office? Need to start getting ready. Yanni? I would recommend that all the people that are all fired up right now and they're going to uh, Phelps' website to buy themselves a gray and a black, black amp, they should also get one of Phelps' external read, single read cow calls. Yeah, you guys, you guys call it the uh, easy asterisk. The easy asterisk. Can you get the different? With or is that uh, you got to call to that, get that's that? That's kind of a special order, but we're pretty. We've got great customer service here at Phelps Game. So <laughs> <laughs> just let us know. I mean, put it in the comments. We do make a bunch of stuff, but it, I just didn't want to skew ourselves. If you yeah. want something different, want a deeper sounding cow call, let us know and we'll make it happen. Yeah, but that's it to me. That's a pretty easy call too. I think for beginners yep. and some people that if if you're just really struggling with the gag thing and you're just you know diaphragms aren't going for you, man, those external reads. Yep. I don't leave home without and they're, it. Yeah, they're super effective. My concluder is just a note on calling in general where it's easy to view. Like when you start out hunting or you start out trying to hunt something new, it's easy to view it as it's all about the end, you know? Um, it's just like what I'll do whatever I need to do to try to get one. And you think about when we first started hunting turkeys, you know, we were aware that calling turkeys was a thing, but we'd just bushwhack them. We'd get, we'd find one goblin, we'd glass one up and belly crawl in on him, wait for him to make a mistake. And, um, and then later when you realize like, like to call something, uh, man, it's just different. It's so much more fun. And when you learn how to do it, it's effective. And it's like, there's, there's certain scenarios, you know, if you lay your decoys out, and you're calling ducks, and you keep, you keep getting, like, birds coming in with cupped wings, and then birds coming in with cupped wings, and you wind up at the end of the day, whatever, you got four of them, and you could have got four jump shooting. It's just different. It's yep. so much more fulfilling. It's like you're just seeing – it's like you're seeing something happen. And then in the end, oftentimes, these things wind up helping you have more end result, too, even though it takes longer to get there. I'm very happy that uh, to have um, – very happy to have like figured that out with turkeys, figured that out with ducks. We used to belly crawl ducks when we were kids. We'd belly crawl ducks and jump shoot ducks, but then later, like taking the time to learn how to calm it, my God, just so much more. It's so much more rewarding. And why, and as far as exhilaration, um, in the hunting world, even beyond the hunting world, I, I to have a you know some six seven hundred pound bull screaming in your face it is just like it is unnerving in the best possible way and you fooled that wild animal to come into your calls that's the, that's the best yeah. if i don't take him home with me that's okay but i fooled that sucker into coming in and i saw him it's almost like counting coup on him you know it's almost yeah. it's almost like that you know it tests your metal man like i don't care you might think you have nerves of steel you know but uh when that's going on, it is so hard to keep your head together. I'm sure it gets less, but it's just like, you're just like, wow, this thing is, 
it's just like this deafening sound from this huge slobbering, you know what I mean? Yep. Snapping trees in half with his antlers. And it's just, it's really something to see. It's really something to see. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Pl- plug the newsletter, Yanni. Last but not least, you should uh, go to the Meteor website and sign up for the newsletter. Get it once a week. Keep up on everything we got going on here at Meat Eater. Yeah, go to www.themeateater.com. Um, go on and give us a five-star review. Click the right most star. But if you're listening there on uh, through iTunes or Apple. And you can find us on social. Uh, I like Instagram a whole bunch. At Stephen Ranella. The Eagle is at Janice Poodles. Janice underscore Poodles. That's right. Janice uh, Cal is at OCAL406, right? Yep. O-L-C-A-L-406. Seth? Uh, at signs underscore West. That's tricky. <laughs> I keep thinking he's a sign builder. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, he's talking about beaver sign. Yep. Oh. <laughs> signs underscore West. Always looking for sign. Like oh, I like that. I like that. What, how, you guys, you guys are on the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, we we're pretty active. Lots um, of inspiring uh, bull bull elk photos. Yep, yep. The the battle between our, our calls is is uh, alive and well. But we're at Phelps Game Calls. Phelps Game Calls. And I'm at the Bugler. One word. Ooh, yeah. You got yeah. in early. Yeah. The Bugler. <laughs> the Bugler. Yeah. All right. Again, most importantly, uh, newsletter www.themeateater.com. And again, Phelps Game Calls. Good dudes. They bugle too much, but they're good dudes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're good dudes. Thanks for having us. It's awesome. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater. Get yourself some free shipping. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.